Auto One Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that brings you two-wheel topics from around the globe. Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to our regularly scheduled show, show, Get it on. All right, everybody, welcome. This is Junk, your host, and I am proud to introduce the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, episode 201. And uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, who tuned in last week for episode 200. And um, it was really fun reaching out to everybody and hearing all the kind comments, words, and whatnot that we heard, um, we reached out, got reached out to, and I'm having a seizure, aren't I? Oh, God. Oh, God. Does this make any sense? All right. Uh, On this episode of Creative Writing, I'd like to remind you that we are brought to you by our patrons via support on patreon.com forward slash creative writing. And the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast are those of the participants, and on this show, that just means me. Um, They do not reflect the policy position or opinions of Creative Writing, the Moto One Podcast Network, or any of our, like, one or two or eight affiliates. And any opinion is the respective participants, that's me, and is not intended to malign anyone or anything, even the folks at... uh, that park their slingshots in the motorcycle parking at IMS. Hmm. So yes, on this show, we may hear some opinions and viewpoints that are clearly just mine and do not represent the network or the show, but I, I feel that they're important. I went to IMS and this is going to be our IMS wrap up show. I also have some really cool interviews. So what I'm going to try and do is walk you through the show with me as if we were there. Actually, we're going to go there together in my time machine in a minute. Um, and we're going to try and do a whole eight-hour day in like one hour. And we'll, we'll talk about what we saw. You and I are going to go there together, so you're going to see it too. And if you have any insights and see something that I missed, um, let me know in the comments or leave a sweet missive t- um, in our email uh, inbox? Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. I was trying to think of our email box, kind of like a mailbox. But anyway, um, to back it up a little bit, thank you to everybody, like I said, who reached out for our 200th episode. Uh, I'm going to give you some of the highlights, like all five people that commented. Um, so one of the people that really enjoyed their favorite moment over the last 200 episodes was Lawrence Opio who we roasted his SV650. And he said that time that you, Wigs, and digs and ghosts. So remember, on that episode, we were at Lucky Wheels. That's episode one ten, I think. And I I totally screwed up the intro. I was thinking about it all day, and it's the very first time I met <laughs> digs and ghosts. And it was like the first time I really got to sit down in person with Ty and Jax. 
and I screwed it up. I was I was thinking like, oh man, Diggs and Ghost is going to be there. I should say Diggs and Ghost, Wigs and Host, and then Jack's a tie. And what I did was I, <laughs> I really screwed it up. Yeah, go back and listen to the intro of episode 110 when we start getting things on the road. But they helped us. We have this segment called Roast My Bike where we try to rip on uh, people's motorcycles. And that was the first time we legitimately actually won the motorcycle. Chris and I try to make it funny and um, not just cutting down bikes. It's easy to just, you know, say what a piece of junk something is. So yeah, to make it funny really is a little harder than it seems. And we finally had some help there. Six, It took six of us and that speaks volumes about the SV650. But um, at any rate, that was his favorite um, segment. Uh, I think it was Al Popwell who was... uh, who has a, a G-Clef as his, um, I think it was his Instagram or his Facebook handle, uh, Avatar. So I know he's into music. He said he loves all the silver tone playing that I do, that I used to do on the show. And a lot of our music actually used to fe- feature me playing the silver tone um, that I have. I love silver tone guitars. There's a lot of people that play them. Um, and I have one. I actually have a crummy one tuned to open D right here next to me. Uh, in the studio, it's, it's just out of arm's reach, so I'm not going to play it right now. But maybe I will do that once a show. Just do some little background music or some hillbilly chase music or something like that. I like to play in open tunings and do a lot of slide guitar. Um, I'm not very good at it, but what the hell? Um, and then J M Langland, um, Jessica, who actually gave us another roast my bike. She had a um, orange monster, I think it was, and uh, she, she said she liked the episode where Wiggs called Eric Buell a genius for taking a Sportster and making it a decent bike. I won't contest that Eric Buell is a genius, but did he make the Sportster a decent bike? We'll never know. And he actually turned to road taxes for the um, second iteration of Buell. Uh, like right before Harley closed him down, I think the 1125 had um, a Rotax engine in it. And I think all of Buell's motors had uh, road taxes in when he was EBR. So yeah, he took a Sportster. He made it a decent bike. The only other people that have been doing that lately are the hooligans. Yeah. Um, somebody else that chimed in and said, uh, oh, it was um, Jay's buddy from Instagram said he likes when we talked about his roached out rat rod. And I have to agree, we've had a lot of cool people reach out uh, on Instagram that just have, like Dane, the man that came over a couple times with Jay, uh, used to have these roached out bikes that were just sweet. And when Dane was over here, we were walking around his bike in my driveway and I was looking at all the mods he had to do to it to make it suit his style and talk about making a Sportster cool. Um, I think Dane did it for sure. But yeah, the, the crazier looking, the better sometimes. I love it. Uh, there's a fine line between art and... Um, let me see trash, <laughs> even in the, even in the fine art world where people, some people say Jackson Pollock just threw a bunch of paint all over a canvas and others say he expressed his genius, um, with his brush strokes and his anguish with his, um, sweeps and this and that of the brush. But you can also say that some people craft their anguish in metal. So Shinya Kimura, are his bikes crummy or like works of art? You be the judge. Um, and who else? Oh, oh, Bri Viffer chimed in and said, Hey, I don't look over a day. Uh, congrats on 200. I don't look a day over 176. Of course, he's talking about my actual age. I am uh, 153 years old this year. Um, 
I look very good for 153. But uh, yeah, the show being 200. Thank you so much for contributing and sending us lots of uh, almost more content than I get myself via pictures and stories and coverage and whatnot like that. So thank you, Bri Viffer, for being part of this show. And uh, yeah, other thanks for all the other kind uh, words and appreciation and all that stuff. It really makes us stoked. And this year coming up, we got some really cool stuff I want to do with our patrons and uh, get some more um, behind the scenes, like get engaged with the core, back to our core idea of uh, what creative writing was, which is talking to people that not and not necessarily celebrities, but talking to the rest of us that uh, are in the motorcycle world. So in the motorcycle family. Um, and with that, yeah, let's get into episode 201. We're going to get into my time machine here and go back in a couple weeks to Long Beach. And stick around at the end. Like I said, we're gonna you're, we're gonna walk through the show in fast motion. Somehow, I'm gonna use my the command that I have over time and space and take you with me so that we can fast forward through the day, but not ignore the details of what went on. And uh, at the end of the show, you were there with me, so you remember this well. We interviewed some people at the end of the day, so um, let's get through this and uh, stick around for the interview. You definitely. Since you were off looking at motorcycles and trying the wheelie machine and all that stuff, you're going to definitely want to hear who I talked to while you were doing all that fun stuff. So stick around with me, buddy, and let's uh, get into this week's show. Before we do, patrons, yeah, some stickers coming. I don't know if I said it this week or last week. I think it was the beginning of this week. I'm losing track of time. But if you're hearing this, you should have some stickers uh, hitting the post office boxes today and getting out into the mail. So let's uh, let's kick it and get into uh, our IMS recap. We were there with me. You can help me out if I forget something. So let's get into it. All right. Well, let's... Why the hell isn't my time machine working? Oh, shoot. There we go. Now, let's jump back into the time machine. You and I go back to IMS. We are here. All right, everybody. Welcome to IMS 2019 uh, Kick off the season with a show at Long Beach. What do you guys think? Do you guys like riding along with Junkie in the old time machine? Oh, crumbs. What the heck? Ah, uh, there we go. My audio cut out. I, I did not expect this many people to be here this morning for the free breakfast. It's 8.30. We just rolled in. How did you like? At least you didn't have to ride with me down here on the motorcycle. Um, we can go back in time and do it instead through the time machine, right? So at least that was a bonus. Um, so yeah, here's the free breakfast provided by Progressive Insurance. Um, I, yeah, let's see. I don't usually eat breakfast anymore. I haven't eaten breakfast for quite a while and, uh, we won't get into my health habits, but whatever. Um, yeah, this tour starts in a minute. So we're going to fast forward through time. Um, I usually show up right before the tour starts because there's no use getting here early. They don't even let you walk around. As you can see right over there. Hey, look, way over there. Look, it's Brady Walker. He is sweet talker. Brady Walker from Ramming Speed Racing is working this event. Yes, he does have the uh, classic track day booth over in the corner. I'm going to 
actually walk around over there in a minute and look at it before the tour starts because we're heading over that way anyway. But, uh, yeah, he is a lighting and sound engineer. He's a super smart guy, she. Like most everybody in L.A. works in the movie or production industry somehow, except for old Tunky Jerdman. But, um, yeah, so there he is. Check that out. Oh, God, what I do? I messed up my... My music. Okay, well, we'll we're going to do this on the fly. We're, we're walking around. We, we'll do all this in post when we get back to the studio. Um, so anyway, yeah, the tour is about to start. Let's head over to Eagle Rider. Oh, my God. Here we are. If you remember last year, we interviewed Chris McIntyre from Eagle Rider. And uh, he was – we joked around with him about world domination and what Eagle Rider is going to be doing. And guess what? Here we are, Club Eagle Rider has this new announcement. So Eagle Rider announced uh, a new subscription service that they have called Club Eagle Rider. Uh, Eagle Rider has been around since 1992. If you just go back to last year's IMS wrap-up, you can hear like the whole story of how we got started and all that. It was a pretty fun um, chat with him. And we uh, we asked him about some big plans that he had, and he, he, you know, he was working on them then. But come to find out, Eagle Rider has 250 worldwide locations. I think they have over 4,000 um, Harleys, Yamahas, BMWs, Hondas. And if you look on their European sites, I think they have like KTMs and stuff too. Um, and you can even, you know, I didn't mention this, but, uh, or Buddy Darwin, get that dog out of this show. What the, what the heck's a dog doing at IMS? Um, our buddy Darwin that hooked us up with the Law Tiger tickets last year, he actually rented a, like a CR250 from uh, Eagle Rider down in Long Beach, rented a trailer, and then took, or rented two of them in the trailer, hauled them up um, to the hills up here and did like a little off-road because he hasn't uh, raced moto in a while. And so, yeah, threw, uh, threw his Harley in the parking lot and drove some dirt bikes out to the hills. Um, so, yeah, here's what's new with Eagle Rider. Uh, Club Eagle Rider program has new subscription levels. If you're if you're not familiar with Eagle Rider, you pay twenty nine dollars a month. So let's just round up to thirty bucks a month, um, and then you that's your membership price, and that's a pretty good deal for um, you know if you're renting a movie online, fifteen bucks. If you're renting a gosh dang motorcycle, twenty nine ain't too shabby. So then you pay a uh, like a subscribe not a, well that's your subscription and membership fee, but you pay a um, a rental fee after that. And like a lot of times rental fees, depending on who you go through, when it's a big reputable worldwide company like Eagle Rider, um, you know, I know sometimes like Twisted Road and Rider Share, you can get bikes for as little as like $39 a day or something like that. Um, but these Eagle Rider has you covered with all sorts of stuff. And we're going to hear about it now. Um, they have, uh, let's see, I think they had a model. If you go to their website, I actually looked on their website to compare these new club Eagle Rider program packages that they have. And if you have the regular $29 a month subscription, you still have access to a lot of cool stuff. You get a point per month. Um, so over the course of the year, you get 12 points plus you get a point for your birthday month. Um, and what that goes to is that it, on top of the fee, it lets you like, it's like kind of like airline miles where it lets you pay for something with points that you accrue. So if you don't rent a bike all month, heck, you got 12 points saved up. I mean, all year and the next year, um, it rolls over and you can rent a bike for a couple days for free maybe. And, you know, go on a week vacation and only end up paying two or three days for it. Or if you want to rent one of their premium bikes, 
that costs like an extra point to rent, uh, there you go. You can save it up and get one of those for the price of like a regular, uh, you know, like 650 or something. So having said that, the new Ego Rider programs has this program, uh, has a tier and one of them is pick six. The other one is ride 12. Uh, they are $149 a month or $199 a month, respectively. So that sounds like a lot up front, but we're going to talk about that in a second. The two new plans, they give you 12 additional riding credits. 12 additional riding credits. So th- with the pick six, you get to apply those to the six months of your choice. So for some of you who maybe are going to be traveling or who are not going to be traveling and getting snowed in, you're not going to be riding for six months anyway. So maybe you can apply the 12 extra points to the six months of your choosing, right? And then the uh, the all-year ride 12, um, you get obviously 12 extra points to distribute throughout the year. So um, you also get two birthday credits on, on these plans instead of one for the standard membership. And the, here's the big benefit. They were, this is what they were talking about too. If you're paying already on a brand new like CVO, let's say, it, your payments are probably like $400 a month to begin with. Um, so with this one, you're paying $199 a month or let's just round it up a dollar to $200 a month. But you, you don't have to pay um, interest on your loan. You don't have to pay insurance. You don't have to pay, um, you know, you don't have, to have a garage to store your CVO in. But you, you can go down to Eagle Rider and maybe you're not even going to ride all year. Maybe you only take your CVO out like a few weeks a year. Maybe you don't even own a CVO, but you are going on vacation and you want to ride one, you know, for like the week that you're on vacation. You, for, for 200 bucks a month, so for less than a payment of a CVO, you can go 12, 12 years or 12 years, 12 months uh, all year round and have this CVO at your disposal whenever you want. Now, granted, it's going to be like 100 bucks to rent it. So for that month, it'll cost you $300, you know, to rent it for a day or whatever. And the more days you rent it, I think there was a discount and the higher tier, like if you're on the 199 a month tier versus the 149 versus the 29, the uh, daily rates drop for you. So it's like as as an added perk, like they realize you're going to be spending a lot of money on renting a bike um, if you're renting it for a long time. So what they're doing is trying to make it easier and trying to make it uh, roughly e- even out, but give you the option of having these uh, better packages. Now, the club memberships, uh, whether it's 149 or 199 this is the new Club Eagle Rider, Eagle Rider, not just the regular subscription. The club membership includes express pickup and drop-off. And if I remember him talking correctly, somebody was beating me about the head and face, and I... Uh, Chuck from Wheel Nerds wasn't there yet, so I know it wasn't him, but it was somebody else trying to shoo me away. Um, they, I, I believe he said that that means that if you're at your house, they will trailer the bike to you and then pick it up from you so that you don't have to go to a participating dealership or retail location. Like they partnered with Cycle Gear, and then I know they have their own locations around. Some dealerships are partnered with them. But I believe the priority pickup and drop-off means that you can either get it at your house or if you're traveling into a, you know, another city, uh, they pick, they will get you at the airport or at your hotel or something like that. Like that was the whole deal with the express pickup and drop-off. You don't have to go out of your way to go get the bike now. It kind of comes to you. Also, priority bike assignment and exclusive travel uh, offers, uh, th- these three additional things are like the the standard membership does not provide these one downside is that you get these 12 extra points and they don't roll over like your 
points due for a regular membership. So at the end of a year, you could have 12 uh, credits on your regular membership. On this one, if you don't use your points, like they don't roll over. Otherwise, you have like 58,000 points if you didn't ever rent a bike for like three years. Um, so at any rate, uh, yeah, these new levels is kind of cool. He's trying to um, get people, you know, just add like an added level of... of uh, subscription just like everything else is you know what i mean like add, a, add an extra perk and it really does make a, a sense when you talk about new bike ownership and how much it costs to buy a new bike he pointed out that this uh per month like if even if you're paying 200 a month and you don't rent every month in the end it's still less um if you get like a cvo and you can swap it out the next week with the friggin ninja 650 you know what i'm saying well actually kawasaki is another thing but you can swap it out with like a bmw k1600 or swap it out with the r9t or whatever you want to do whatever brands they have um in their participating areas uh, you go and swap it out so you're kind of getting a new bike um every month if you so choose and also like i said you don't have to have a garage to store it in. You don't have to do any of the maintenance on it. And you don't have to worry about um, people stealing it from your house. You go pick it up at uh, Eagle Rider. Or actually, they can bring it to you if you're on this new level. So he was trying to point all this stuff out. You don't even have to have a garage, for Pete's sake. You know, you just uh, If you're only going to be riding once or twice a month, um, anyways, this is a great option to test out many, many new bikes without having to commit to sales and, and buying one and going through all the F&I at a dealership and getting sold on the warranties and all that extra crap that it makes your payment like $600 anyway when you walk out the door. So that's uh, something interesting from Eagle Rider this year. And uh, it was a blast talking to Chris last year. And they're up to big, big things. I don't know where they're going to go from here. And I don't know how they're going to change the smaller... I'm going to call them Ma and Pa um, rental subscription services like um, Twisted Road and Rideshare. And so the big thing with those is that they're not um, subscription right now. Or are they? I forget. Twisted Road sent me something. I, I forgot already because my memory is terrible. But yeah, the subscription thing is where this is a big deal. You're, you're like a member of a club here. Um, let's dawdle over here. Uh, they're, they're kicking us out. It is uh, 9.15 and they want us to move over to Suzuki of America. So let's head over there. Here we are. Hey, Suzuki. They uh, first announcement. They're going to unveil the V-Strom 1050. And the 1050 harkens back to the 1988 DR750S or the DR Big or Dr. Big, if you're like me. Um, it was the OG beaked adventure bike back when the BMW GSs still looked like kind of like KLR Enduros or like whatever fat um, adventure, quote, adventure bike at the time. They really just looked like big motocross bikes or big um, dual sport bikes back then. And adventure bikes didn't really have these crazy beaks, but Suzuki was the first one to do that. And so what has changed for the V-Strom? You know, big changes. They just re-released the 1000 in uh, 17 or something like that. So what's happened in the last three years? They're discontinuing it already and pumping out the V-Strom 1050 for 2020. So let's check it out. All right, what's changed? Not much. It is still a 1037cc liquid-cooled 90-degree L-twin. It retains the same bore and stroke as well as the transistorized ignition and the LED taillight as the previous model, 2017-19. And it also keeps the 5.3-gallon uh, or 20-liter tank for you uh, metric people out there. Um, 
And it has basically all the same running gear. It's got inverted forks, Takiko four-piston calipers, 19-inch um, front, 17-inch rear, tubeless spoked wheels. Um, so really, what does change? Um, and that is a little bit more subtle. So what changes and what's likely to be noticed by people that, no that you know, can differentiate differentiate the changes to me is like somebody that's already been riding one and you know they're gonna fake that they they, they notice these things because i don't know if you actually will um but people that are just getting onto a dr uh the dl 1000 or the uh, the v-strom 1000 for the first time i don't think they're gonna notice any of this stuff so stepping onto it there are they gonna notice that the sdtv throttle bodies are gone which is the uh, suzuki dual throttle valve uh, throttle bodies is basically just a set of throttle bodies where one open later than the other like at full throttle to give you um good low-end torque and then like open it up for for faster speed i don't think they're gonna notice that but in the place of those is a new ride-by-wire throttle system and it works with the existing isc so they're keeping the isc on there which is the um the idle speed control and that system just lets it um, be more forgiving at low, you know, lower speed, so you don't stall the bike as much, and it kind of helps new riders or uh, not even new riders. I don't know why I'm saying that. It helps people um, keep the bike running. Maybe if you like stumble or you're really doing some off-road stuff and your clutch uh, work isn't like on par, so it keeps it keeps the bike at lower speeds uh, running and not stall. That makes stalling harder at lower RPMs. That's just basically what I said. They also had this thing called Pair, which was like a pulsed air injection something or other. I forget what that does. But it also uses that um, to, to make it more fuel efficient, I guess, and to burn un, un, um, or to like pass un, unburned gas. Um, and they retain that from the previous model. So there's a lot of things that were already existing that are just getting transferred over. So it's really just a ride-by-wire now. Um, but the oil cooler also gets additional cooling from the radiator now. So they're kind of like uh, making it a little bit more um, efficient by, by cooling off things a little bit better even. Probably making it run just that much more efficiently in passing Euro 5 or whatever. So when the new DL1000 debuted in 2018, that's right, it skipped 2017. Uh, I believe, yeah. I think it skipped 17. So it was only introduced like in 18 and 19, and they're already changing it. Um, but anyway, it had a five-axis Bosch IMU, which controlled the intelligent ABS, which was like motion track, anti-locked, and then some combined braking, basically corner braking and traction control and all that great stuff. So the 2019 model, they might have made some tweaks to that system, um, but the 2020 model, it upgrades to a new thing called SIRS, which is Suzuki Intelligent Ride System. And it's basically, SIRS comprises the previous system, that same exact stuff, but what it adds is hill hold control, slope dependent control, and load dependent control, which makes, uh, I, actually everything is coming with hill hold control now. And I just saw a video where a guy that has an Alta retrofitted his, uh, you know, just go in and program the controller to hold the brakes on a hill. Um, and yeah, so everything nowadays is coming with hill, hill hold control to help you start up hills and even down hills. And so the slope dependent control is the same thing. It, it doesn't let you do certain things depending on what sort of the uh, angle that it senses you're coming down at. Maybe it doesn't let you get on that front brake so hard that you're going to go over the bars downhill. Um, and then the load dependent control, if you have a pillion or gear, it adjusts the... Um, 
the way that it rides to give you, keep you in control, basically. So that stuff has been added to the old motion track system and all that great stuff, and they're calling it SIRS now. The IMU has also been upgraded from six uh, to from five to six axes, and there's a three-axis accelerometer. So you get like the you retain the cornering, uh, braking, like cornering ABS, um, the traction control, all that great stuff, and it just monitors the nth degree, uh, you know, on this new iteration. It's kind of basically just upgrades uh, in my mind. So the fact they're calling it new is silly too because they redesigned the body and they're calling it a 1050 when it's the exact same displacement as the quote 1000 was. So it's, it's interesting. But at any rate, um, yeah, so the, uh, the add cruise control and LED lighting all around, so not just the taillight anymore. It gets like a new peppy front uh, headlight, which looks kind of cool, um, and also the everything, everything that's lit up is LED now, and the um, cruise controls add a benefit. Of course, it's all controlled by CAN bus now, which is a upgrade to the basically uh, existing um, V-Strom electrical s system. You know, now they're doing everything in systems, so it monitors all the new zappies and buzzies at once, and and uh, puts everything where it's supposed to be going. You, it's basically, you have to have a CAN bus if you're gonna have ride-by-wire and all this other stuff. And then something else that the 2020 V-Strom gains isn't all this tech, but it's also a half, half inch of width. So a uh, quarter inch on each side, I guess, which for um, metric people is like, wow, three millimeters on each side? Or is that, or a three? Yeah, I think three millimeters on each side or five millimeters, something like that. Um, and then the I think the overall width and length is a little bit longer though the, the length is half inch as well the wheelbase is identical so that means either the beak or the um, the uh, rear fender sticks out a little bit just like half an inch so I think that's six millimeters for metric people or no half inch I'm sorry that's 13 um, uh, millimeters for metric people but if you split that between front and rear you're six and six so and it also comes in at 545 pounds without any ADV gear installed where last year's V-Strom 1000 only weighed 514 pounds so that's a gain of 672 pounds um, for just hand guards a bash guard and like an electric rack or not electric uh, aluminum or aluminium for you metric folks and it might be electric. Who knows? I just, I love to say that. Uh, in other news, they really, I can't think of anything else that they really mentioned except that they're quads. Yay. When they started talking about quads, my face glazed over and I went back to being punched in the face because I'd rather be punched in the face than listen to people talk about quads. But I get it. It's part of the power sport industry. And we're actually probably going to talk about this in a minute. You could test ride a katana as well. Only a katana. I don't remember, uh, Jay and Ash went down on Saturday, I believe it was, and I think they went to test ride, and they were like, yeah, they only had katanas. I don't know if they asked around and all the other bikes were gone and only the katanas were left because ain't nobody want to ride a katana, or if they were like, hey, we want you to buy a katana, ride a katana, we're only going to offer you a katana. So you're going to take your katana and ride it. So I don't know what the situation was, but they said there was only katanas. Fortunately, on, unfortunately, on press days, we don't get a test ride stuff. We have to wait for the general public to appear for that stuff to happen. We only get to be there to hear the spiel without being interrupted and uh, without 50,000 people sitting on a bike so we can get some cool stuff for our, our magazines and blogs and all this stuff. So, yeah, we don't get to see all that cool stuff either. Um, 
also, they, I don't remember them mentioning the Hayabusa going away. Um, there was one there. At least I, they might have, but I just don't remember them saying anything about it. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. They're showing, showcasing a new bike that really didn't even hardly change except for the body and a couple electronic tweaks. And they're not mentioning that their giant is an one-time um, you know, media presence giant bike going away. Speaking of giant, let's move on over here. It's 9.35. We better get going. They're going to start yelling at us. 9.35, Giant Bicycles. Giant Bicycles is here on hand to talk about the crossover between two wheels of all sorts. Um, many motorcycle shops are now power sport shops, and that means they don't specialize unless you're a Harley dealer or a... Uh, K, uh, let me see who else would only deal one sort of bike because even KTM has road and dirt bikes. Yeah, so Harleys, they only sell cruisers. Indian, there you go. Indian only sells cruisers. So if you're an Indian dealership or a Harley dealership, you're selling cruisers. If you're any other sort of dealership, you know what it is to have like your cruiser section, your, uh, your street bike section, your motocross section. And some of them even have like trials and specialty and quad and side-by-sides, right? So... Bicycles are now becoming part of this power sports scene and electric bikes specifically. So Giant was there with a ton of electric bikes on hand um, and they're trying to add to the power sport portfolio in a meaningful way for motorcycle businesses. They're hoping that e-bike sales will transfer into motorcycle sales down the line. If you can get somebody into your shop to check out motorcycles because you have a cool e-bike there, you might be able to show someone a new sport that they may take to. Uh, do you remember how uh, surfers converted to sidewalk surfers back in the 1960s, right? And we all know that skateboarding went nowhere, right? Wink, wink. So even snowboarders have to agree that getting a person who likes two wheels on two different kind of wheels, um, that maybe the market can benefit for either. So Giant um, trying to do, uh, you know, just cross people over to the motorcycle world by offering Giant's to be part of your dealership experience and vice versa. Uh, maybe getting people off of motorcycles onto e-bikes because you don't want to go to a pedal bike sometimes. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you think they're too slow after you're coming off your turbocharged Harley Davidson and you're like, I don't want to go f- five miles an hour and have to pedal. So get a friggin' e-bike that goes, you know, 30 miles an hour or whatever. And um, that's probably as fast as... Uh, Harley Davidson goes through traffic. So just get a bicycle that goes that fast, right? So that's what they're trying to promote, this crossover. And um, they're, they're saying, you know, you can also help your friend get an e-bike, go trail riding with them, tell them, hey, if you like this, you ought to come to the road, you know? So at any rate, my notes here said that, um, well, I, we'll get into this in a little bit. My notes, I, I really like the e-bike thing. Um, I think that you can use them, even if you're a motorcyclist, to get your fix in the city, or out on an urban trail where motos aren't legal, but bicycles are, I think you can always whip that e-bike, uh, whip that, you know, basically small displacement motorcycle out and take it for a rip and then pedal it back to your car like, I wasn't on a motorcycle. All righty, time is up here at the old uh, uh, giant bicycle. They had, who did they have? Oh, they had uh, Eddie Lawson was here, Tara Geiger, Jolene Van Voogd, Ethan Roberts, Dusty Wiggle, and uh, all that great stuff. They had Travis Pastrana's bike there, so his 
blue. I forget what I forget what was significant. Say I'm having a stroke. Oh my god, Mark! I forget what was significant about the colors, but it was a blue bike, and um, yeah, that's about all I can tell you. Uh, so anyway, let's head over to Triumph. It's 9:50, and they're pushing us out of here. So here we are. Oh look at this, Triumph. Oh yeah. Triumph Motorcycles. What can we say about Triumph Motorcycles that hasn't already been said? Well, let's try. <laughs> Triumph was busy this year showing off their gigantic rotisserie. 25,000 cubic meters of solid boost. 6,889 hamster powers. 2,553 newton meters of ratchet power. It weighs 7 tons wet. It uses recycled 50-gallon drums for pistons, has a 122-gallon fuel tank. The Rocket 3R was unveiled just to show Elon Musk that SpaceX isn't the only spacecraft for public consumption. <laughs> all right, all right, enough. If you want the actual numbers, here they are. The Rocket uh, 3. Rocket 3R debuted. It's 21.9, so 22 grand. The engine is the biggest production motorcycle right now that's not some special like the Boss Haas or something like that. It's a V8, right? It's the biggest production motorcycle at 2456 cc's. And if you want some perspective, the new Milwaukee 8 114 is uh, like, 20, like 1800 cc's or something like that. Who knows what the Indian Power Plus... Um, 117 or whatever the hell the Thunderstroke 117 is. That's uh, anyways nowhere near 2,500 cc's. It's an inline three, so it's a triple, um, and it's dual overhead cams. It's liquid cooled. It's got 10.8 to one compression. Uh, the power and torque are almost identical. It's got 165 HPs at 6,000 RPM and 163 foot pounds at 4,000. So that's a pretty good uh, torque torque ratio right there. The trans is a six-speed. The power-to-weight ratio. Now this thing weighs uh, dry 641. Uh, so actually, it's a 2,500 cc motorcycle, and it's only 100 pounds heavier than my stinking 950. What the hell? Um, but that's dry. Also, put all the oils and coolants and gasolines in there, and uh, liquid weighs. You know, liquid weighs a little bit. But anyway, it's uh, some miscellaneous facts. It's got some ride-by-wire, a totally aluminum frame, or else the bike would be 641 pounds, just the front half of it. Um, it's got a single-sided swing arm. It does look, I have to say, the styling of this thing is pretty amazing. Nothing like the Speedmaster, but, you know, for what it is, the Rocket 3 is literally the most poweriest of the power cruisers. Although 165 HPs at 6,000, I think the VMAX... I'm not sure. I don't even know anything about Ducatis, so don't ask me about the Diaville. But I'm pretty sure the VMAX puts out about 20 more horse um, out of its motor. And I think it's only a 400. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea what it is. You know, it's like a, it's probably like around 18, somewhere between 17 and 1900 cc. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the power to weight ratio is 0.25. So... Not exactly ripping your trousers off, but with that torque, maybe it could. Maybe it could blow your socks off. Um, so, yeah. The dimensions, like I said, dry weight is 641. It has a 4.8 uh, U.S. gallon tank. They didn't tell us in metrics. And Triumph is a metric brand, so what do you know? Uh, it's got a 30-inch seat height with a 35-inch width, so it's a little bit 
underscore. Um, overall, it's got 10,000% largest power cruiser in the world. So Triumph, go for it. And uh, I know it's not Triumph. It has an H at the end, so it's Triumph. Um, anyway, Bud Ekans tribute bikes also coming out of Triumph. I didn't. This isn't in my notes, so I'm just going off memory. Um, Bud Ekans, if you don't know who he is, he was a very um, successful Triumph retailer here in the LA area, and I think he was one of the earliest motorcyclists into that. There, Baja 1000. Um, he also was buddies with Steve McQueen since Steve McQueen liked to haunt this area and ride triumphs all around. And when Steve McQueen was filming the Graham, the Graham Escape, or the Great Escape, I can't remember what it was called. I'm going to look at the title. I have the box over here. I'm going to look. Oh, yeah, look, Graham Escape. Wait, mine's a bootleg, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, since him and Bud were buddies, he said, hey, you got to come jump this TR6 over the barbed wire fence for this movie. It made him famous. It's one of the best most talked about jumps in motorcycle film history. Although, if you saw my recent Instagram post, the, I'm, I'm surprised that like Mission Impossible and James Bond and even the Terminator jumping, the, uh, the cop jumping the motorcycle out into the helicopter doesn't rank right up there with jumping over a fucking barbed wire fence. I'm sorry, Bud Ekans. I mean, I know it was back in the day, but still. At any rate, they had two beautiful T... I think there was a T120 and a T100 that are uh, Bud Ekans um, tribute models, and they had, like, his nephew and his wife and his third uncle there to talk about him and talk about the bike. So it was pretty cool. Um, really great tri- tribute to a great uh, personality, especially here in SoCal where his whole career started. All right, let's head over here. They're kicking us out of here. They don't have much more to say, and these old geezers are spitting out Werther's and crackers out of their teeth. So let's get out of here. It's 10, 10 a.m. We have arrived in the booth of BMW. BMW with one of the most significant yet simultaneously expected updates to their lineup. That's right, the CC bump. We've seen it in every brand so far. Harley-Davidson is going to be doing it next year, too, with the 12... 50 and 975 I guarantee the Bronx and Pan America models are going to bump up the uh, Sportster lineup right now from 8083 and 1200 to 1250 and 975 you watch son you watch boy and goyle um, so anyway what's BMW have to tell us well they unveiled the new 2020 BMW F900R F900XR and S1000XR. Did you know they had an S1000XR? Of course they have since like 2009 or 10. But anyways, I won't talk about bikes upgrading their models and calling them new. (laughs) 1050. (laughs) Anyway, um, at any rate, the the F900s are big news. Um, But it is like literally one of the most insignificant uh, or expected updates that we could have had. So they've had the F800 out for a long time. Uh, They just boosted the F700 and 800 up to the F750 and 850 GS last year or the year before last. The R1200 also got a boost to the R1250 to compete with the uh, 1260 uh, Ducati Multistrada, right? But also to deliver the same power with more restrictions on the motors for Euro 4 and 5 and all that stuff. So unveiling these F models kind of was significant because they didn't get a 50cc boost. They got a 100cc boost. Well, not if you count the F850GS getting bumped up to a 900, but they don't have one of those yet. They bumped their F800R to the F900R. And along with this new platform... 
the F900XR making its debut, to me, I didn't do the, I haven't done my due diligence research. I haven't paid attention to BMW a lot recently because I was so excited when all these bikes came out and now I'm like, eh, you know, everybody wants an R9T and their stupid, gigantic, idiotic R1800 or whatever. So going back and looking at the F900XR, I couldn't tell you, does it look like the uh, S1000XR? In my, As far as I remember, the S1000XR, I haven't looked at it in a hot second. It doesn't look anything like it. But what it does look like is uh, it sort of looks like it got a... Um, a Ducati and a Mult and a Suzuki maybe like had a baby, and that's exactly what its fairing looks like to me. The fairing looks like a Suzuki style fairing and kind of rounded and organic, kind of that weird Japanese robot. Um, when I say robot, you think angular, but don't think angular. Think like the like uh, Robotech bad guys that were made of plants, like all the the organic robots. Um, and anyways. This, the headlights look a lot Ducati though to me so like when they're going for this multi-strata copying look is kind of what it looks like to me the F900R kind of retains it's more angular the more roadstery version of the F800R that I really liked I've liked the F800R for quite a while I couldn't tell you how long ago but um, I used to watch Chris Pfeiffer all the time on YouTube and uh, back when they had an F800S and he would stunt that thing like crazy um, and the F800S turned into the F800R and the F800 GT and eventually the F800 GS and all that great stuff. But the R and the GT are the closest, I guess, to what the S used to be. And Chris Pfeiffer has won multiple, multiple European stunt championships um, on the F800. And I, he even rode his... He did like this cool stunt video where he rode into the BMW headquarters in Munich or Bayern or wherever the hell they are um, and did like a whole bunch of stunts and then goes to the very top of the roof, which is like 8,000 stories tall and then does like tricks out there. It was super cool. Um, but yeah, he's he's pushed that bike to the limits. It's kind of cool. He's retired now, but it'd be kind of cool that the F900's out and it'd be kind of cool to see what people are, are, are going to push these limits to. The S1000XR... It got a little bit of a makeover and some upgrades, just like the um, V-Strom did. So should we even talk about it? I don't think so. Let's move over here. Uh, any, they're kicking us out anyway. The, uh, some of the press people want to get pictures of that R1800 that I'm not even going to talk about. Um, so now, yeah, it's 1030. I'm getting hungry, are you? Um, let's stop by Kawasaki Motor USA. So every year kawasaki manages to change one or two major players in its stable with kind of without changing them at all i think the uh zx10 rr got a change up a little bit ago it's like well we have to like be competitive when in world superbike or moto america or whatever the hell they're competing in so every year they upgrade little things here and there and it's all new model this is the bane of uh, it's not the bane, is it? Yeah, it's one of my pet peeves for sure, but I won't say it's the bane of my existence. But we're going to see something else from Kawasaki right now that is like a a harbinger if, of, of different times, if you will. So this year is no different. Uh, the vehicles that they showcased at IMS uh, revealed a troubling trend, in my opinion, that has plagued the motorcycle space, at least for the past, past few years. Um people calling updates out as if they are new and uh, to me it's getting old um, BMW has, or not BMW uh, the other BMW Yamaha has done it with the R3 a few times too adding ABS doesn't make a bike a new model okay I don't care it's a 
it's a new feature. It's a new package, whatever, but it's not a new model unless it's like the R350 or something like that. You really got to change it. Um, you can restyle it, redesign it, but it's not new. It's a next generation. People are down, uh, 10 years from now, people are going to say, do you have the Gen 1 or Gen 2 of this? Um, so last year they announced changes to the Ninja lineup. I can't even remember what the hell they were. Um, I think a couple years before that, they announced changes to the Vulcan lineup. Hey, look, they added ABS, some special colors, and a fairing to the front. Big whoop. You added some accessory parts to it, and you call it a whole new thing on your website. Yay for you. Uh, not yay for me. Um, the racing homologation bikes, like I mentioned, the ZX-10RR and all those, they get revitalized, I think, just the year before last, or maybe even last year. So most of the changes, just like I mentioned before with another brand, aren't immediately noticeable to the everyday rider, the untrained eye, or someone just coming in. Other times, they are... Um, what's going on here? Ooh, I'm going to decline that. Uh, a lot of times, they're very obvious. And this year, they, they were both for Suzuki, or for Kawasaki, the other Suzuki. So they started off by announcing a new 2020 Ninja 650 which I believe is more of just a redesign of the existing Ninja 650. So I'm not really going to talk about that. They, they already have a 650, right? Um, aside from the body panels, on paper, the specs look exactly the same. It's like calling a, a DL1000 or a DR, uh, not the DR, the, um, the V-Strom 1000, the V-Strom 1050. Exact same motor, <laughs> everything. Like, what the hell? Uh, so anyways, the specs look really the same on the paper, for the Ninja 650, so just the body is a little different. Um, maybe it's more aerodynamic. There you go. And maybe it has like a couple new electric whammy bammies. Uh, they also announced the ZH2 and the W800. So don't they already have an H2 and a W800? Yep. But the ZH2 is the naked version of the H2, which they also have a couple difference. They have the H2, the H2 Carbon, and now, uh, I think it was starting last year or the year before, the H2 SX SE Plus, which is like their sport touring version of an H2, so you get a supercharged sport tourer. Um, the ZH2 kind of looks like the old Z1000 had illicit relations with a Tesla Cybertruck, because it's all angles, dangles, and it's naked and hanging out there, and... It can look weird if you're, if you're not into it. Um, it's kind of gross yet totally functional. Um, the new W800 is a lot same from the W800 Cafe last year. Uh, what was it? Let's see what's the difference. Um, oh, they took off that little weird cafe hump seat and the stupid fairing that makes the W800 from last year a cafe. It's the W800 that I wish would have came out last year without that stupid fairing on the front. Um, and honestly, they should have made it like a bolt. Back when the bolts came out and the bolt C, which was a uh, basically a bolt with just a cafe seat on the end. Um, nice going Yamaha doing the same sort of thing. At least that was like a modular. At least it was technically a different model like the SCR. The SCR, they took the bolt, made a different subframe for it. Is it all that different? No, everything's pretty much the same. But you can't just take the exact same bike and slap a fairing on the front and call it something different. Unless you're Kawasaki, because they did it with a Vulcan S Cafe. They did it with a W800 Cafe. Now, the W800 is a bike I can get behind. It looks cool. It gets rid of that lame Cafe hump seat on the back so that you can actually have uh, a, a passenger comfortably behind you. And it gets rid of that dumb little speed screen that may or may not have deflected some wind. You know, good for them, but it really looks stupid 
on that particular bike. Uh, like, go cafe racer or go home. Don't do half. Don't do, like, a standard bike with, like, a little bit of a speed screen because it looks like you're trying to rip off, um, you know, the 70s and you're not doing it well. The W800 now at least looks good. Um, without all that stuff and, and the seat looks much better so anyways at least with the Z900 RS they had the uh, you know the common sense to release the cafe modification after the base model had been established um, and so you got the Z900 RS with the fairing afterwards you know what I'm saying um, and there was also a new Ninja 1000 like I said the Z900 and 650 which were also mostly body panel changes and the Z900 650 and if I'm not mistaken the Ninja 1000 I could be wrong about that one but I think that these are all literally new bikes with less than five years of ass time in the seats and already they're being tweaked um and I really don't want to discuss it. I'm pr uh, like on paper, they're pretty much the same. I don't. I don't think I saw anything that was like, "Wow, this is stunning." It's a new 650. Well, put like a hub steering front end, or like I don't know, redesign every single thing, and then you call it new and, and whatever. So um, I quit paying attention. Maybe they did. I just quit paying attention when I heard that and looked at them. I was like, "Yeah, the numbers look the same to me." Um, other things that Kawasaki chose to focus on. This is what I'm talking about. This is where I want to get into pulling back the curtain on the industry in a way that you wouldn't expect and a trend that has been um, interfering in the motorcycle sphere for quite a while. Let's see. Oh, we're almost at an hour here. We need to get through. They're, kicking, they're pushing us on, so I need to hurry. Um, so before they mentioned any of the bikes that I just totally ranted on about in their lineup, they started their presentation with the updated and, and upgraded motocross models and then a big announcement for, for dual sporties. The KX and KLX models were excitedly talked about and the expansion of the off-road and trail segment. I thought this is good because it means that more people are, are hopefully getting out on the dirt. You don't need a license to ride on the dirt. You do. You might need a sticker or some sort of pass in a lot of places, but you usually get to enjoy the outdoors in a setting that's outside the urban crawl at rush hour. So you don't have to. Be, you can be outside, and you're not outside in the city. You're outside recreating away from everyone else. The other push right now is for sport. Oh, and you can be a little kid because you don't need a license. Um, the sport utility and side by sides like RUVs. Uh, Kawasaki was hoping to get eyes on their jet skis even by strategically placing them around. But they had some upgraded Tarek stuff. They were talking about some of their upgraded quads. And so this is this harkens back to like the power sports thing that we were talking about earlier. And then who, who knows, at some point they may even start selling e-bikes in their shops. They're just, they need to get a hold of as many people as they can, it seems like. That's where the industry is headed right now. We can't only rely on two wheels alone anymore. You are a power sports... Um, dealership in a time of technological and recreational change and if you want to play in the dirt and all that stuff like great and kawasaki's trying to grab that if you want to play in the water yeah you know uh, more sales for kawasaki means that you know more bike sales means that maybe they'll invest a little more in some of their uh off-road segment and more sales of those bigger off-road things like the the quads which are like ten thousand bucks and the Terex and all that stuff, which are like 15 or 20 grand, means that maybe they'll have more money to put back into motorcycles. So I, hopefully we all win from this stuff. But in a, in a way, it's kind of weird seeing they brought more than just motorcycles to a motorcycle show. They brought jet skis, for Pete's sake. Um, 
Also, uh, this is really exciting. For those who want to play in the dirt and ride through town to get there, they dropped a bike that is finally all new. And I say that it's all new being that they take, a, I think, an existing bike and put street stuff on it. So is it all new? Sort of. Uh, the KLX 230. It's a sweet improvement over the KLX 250. Um, it's got the same wheel sizes, but it has a slightly lower seat height, which means a little bit less suspension travel and a skoshless ground clearance. But we're literally just talking like a tad and a skosh, right? So um, it features a Bosch off-road ABS and digital ignition system, the TCBI, the transistor-controlled whatever ignition. I forget what the hell the B stands for. It's also 10 pounds lighter than the 250. It should be a real ripper. And uh, I think it had, like, better torque curve or something like that than the 250. Like, the 250, uh, you know... It's a 250 and all, but this 230 looks pretty bitchin'. And the off-road ABS, they better put that on the 250 if they want people to keep buying them. All right, yeah, they're kicking us out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's go over here to Yamaha. Oh, God. it's I'm getting hungry by the moment. It's 1120, and I'm usually eating lunch right now. All right, Yamaha, what you got for us, son? All right, I see the Nikon again. That was here like two years ago. I see the Tenere 700 being announced again. So what is new, Yamaha? Hey, how about the MTO3? Yeah, the MTO3, baby. Uh, MTO3 is going to join the ranks of the Hyper Naked group, um, which includes the MT10, the MTO9, the MT07, and now the MTO3. They should just put like a uh, like an eight and a five hundred in there too, and then a six hundred. I think they have you know the R6 motor. Just put that in one. Then they'll have all of them covered. Uh, what they don't have, I asked the guy about this. We'll talk about it in a second. Anyway, um, the the this is kind of exciting for me because it's the newest member or contender in a field that's already recognized for legends like the Duke 390 and, um, well, now that the Ninja 300's been gone for a couple of years, what else is there? I guess the Z400 maybe what, the nin- and the Ninja 400 would share a chassis. Um, the G310R, that's one that's been pretty popular, but I don't know how the sales are doing. And the CB300 F and R's, now we got the MT03. And the R3 was already doing pretty good too. So, uh, And a lot of people like the Ninja 300 as well. It was like the um, really good class leader there for a while. And for the, the past few years, the 300 column has sprouted some sweet rides from the R3 like I just mentioned, all the way to the Versus 300X for little adventure riders out there that want that don't want to huck around a gigantic, uh, you know, 1200 GS. It's a segment that encompasses cruisers also, like the Rebel 300 that came out a couple years ago and just has been um, being customized left and right. And sport bikes. You know, there's a lot of 300 sport bikes out there. So how could you not be excited for a hyper naked from Yamaha to pick up where the R3 kind of left off. Um, I was also, there is a sweet looking MT125 and I asked the guy about it, but the Yamaha rep told me that it's not likely to come to the States. Um, and I was thinking that if it did, it would give the Grom a significant, uh, competition. Hang on. I'm being accosted here by security. All right. They haven't seen me yet. I'm just going to jump into the suit here and Oh God. Oh, please. Oh, All right, just like the Instagram from the IMS show, again, 
I came back in time and forgot what was going to happen. It's happened again. You may have uh, remembered our Instagram post from then. Uh, Brady Walker carried me off uh, as I hid inside that dummy race uniform. So anyway, let's head over to... Um, now we're going over to Harley Davidson. It's got to be almost lunchtime, right? Uh, it's 11:40. Let's head over there. So Harley Davidson. Hi, Harley Davidson. How you doing? Um, Harley Davidson was on hand to talk about growing their ridership for like a third year in a row. Uh, I don't know. I think since oh, I, I literally, I think it's the third year in a row now that they've talked about. Um, expanding their ridership overseas. And now you've listened to the show over the past four years. You know that we've covered a lot of news from Harley, everything from the the plant closings, the recalls, the federal charges and fines, tariffs, a whole lot more, right? The biggest shift in the company was rebudgeting. I think it was about two years ago where there was a shift from production and spending um, and they shifted it to marketing spending. And that shift included, I think, a year or two years ago, forcing the dealers to take bikes so that the numbers of motorcycles sold would look better than it actually was. So when Harley-Davidson delivers a bike to the factory or to the dealership from the factory, the, the dealerships are operated independently. And so they consider that bike to be sold as soon as it is uh, off the factory floor onto a showroom floor. Now, whether or not a consumer actually gets that into their hands and pays for it is a whole nother thing. And Harley doesn't usually offer discounts and this and that only last year and the year and uh, a little I guess a little bit of this year have I heard Harley Davidson dealers offering discounts and offering all sorts of, they had to the company knew they screwed everybody over um, in my opinion and uh, but it is a fact that there was a lot of bikes sold um, versus the amount that were actually sitting on showroom floors unsold to the general public. Sure, they were sold to the dealerships, but then the dealerships have to carry that cost. So at any rate, uh, since that time, the marketing shift is definitely focusing on the future of Harley-Davidson's per- perspective new customers. They And as we've seen, they had they killed the Dinas. Um, it was a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. A lot of people were pissed off about production moving and getting consolidated. Um, you know, consolidating domestic production that was actually uh, moved a plant people to. I forget where they where they moved. It, the York, PA plant is still there, but there was another one that closed. And um, I'd have to go back to my notes, like from uh, last year, to figure out all this. But. Um, at any rate, they're saying that moving over, you know, that by consolidating American domestic production and moving overseas, that it's actually created more jobs. Moving some production abroad required more personnel to oversee the operations. And also their new EV campus out here in California has brought on a whole new division of engineers and builders and, and uh, programmers and designers. So at any rate, they didn't so much slow down uh as shift gears, but gradually, this is another thing. The show is four years old, and in the last four years, they have, except for that year where they fudged the numbers, which I believe was 2016, they have dropped in market value, like over the consistently over the last, I forget how many quarters, it's like 12 quarters or something like that, um, which would mean like three years, right? No, I guess like uh, maybe nine quarters, something like that. But anyways, um, They've really dumped a lot of effort into selling the new line of soft tails that superseded the old Dinas. 
uh, and Softail families, those bikes, some people hated the idea of change, especially the Dyna Bros out here. But uh, for the rest of the country um, that weren't necessarily into the Dynas, the Softails are better. The Milwaukee 8 is better. And it debuted circa 2016, I think. And it didn't hurt uh, the marketing swing either, right? It's quickly been accepted. People were like, oh, water-cooled, you know, Milwaukee 8's going to have water-cooled heads or whatever in it. And, you know, people get all pissed. But it's quickly been accepted, especially by new riders who don't know about how bad Harleys used to vibrate and, like, how hot your leg used to get. EITMS, I called it items because I thought that was pretty funny, but EITMS was Engine Idle Temperature Management System. I think it started in 2011, so like almost uh, almost a decade ago. And it was a feature where when you're at a stoplight, you could roll the throttle forward, I believe is how this worked, and it would cut off the front cylinder. You're only running on the back cylinder, or vice versa, actually, vice versa. It cut off the back cylinder because that's right where your ass is sitting over, and people's legs and genitals were getting roasted. And they had all sorts of wind deflectors deflecting wind down to that thing to keep it cool. Um, so you're talking like discomfort. New riders will not feel that. Ever since the uh, Project Rushmore day. Uh, changes started to debut in like 2014 and 15 and now the Milwaukee 8 and 16 things have only been getting better so as far as I see it Harley even though they've been losing rider uh, market share um, they've already sold Harleys to half of the US right and everybody that's going to buy one um, you can't expect everybody to keep buying a new Harley every year just like cell phones and computers and everything else once you get a good one you want to stick with it until it's obsoleted by uh, technology eventually. So the real game changer to me has been the finally released Livewire. Um, and it's it's funny that the Milwaukee 8, I haven't heard anything bad about it. All the other ones had like problems and I, I haven't heard anything yet about the motor. Of course, the um, ABS recall they had a couple years ago and some other things here and there. Yeah, but the Milwaukee 8 has been pretty solid from what I've heard so far. Um, so this Livewire debut is getting people for the last 50 years hooked on the sound and the rumble and everything that you were marketing then. Hey, marketing team, maybe we want to think ahead to like the future when, when this shit's going to be outlawed. And so we've built our entire brand on these big giant cruisers. And now all of a sudden we're going to try dumping the live wire. And this has been a point of contention for Harleistas everywhere as well. Now that they're trying to get into the ADV scene, now that they're trying to get into the sport bike scene, thanks for canning Buell. Nobody liked Buells anyway. Um, and now you're re you're reintroducing basically a gen two, um, Buell, let's just call it that for, uh, you know, all intents and purposes, um, you, you're reinventing the stuff that you already had under his, his, uh, brand, you know, his part of the company and you're getting just about as, as good of a reception for it. So let's talk about what they had at IMS. Oh, well the future, this is what they talked about. This is what the reps were talking about at IMS, still talking about their overseas production, ramping all that up, getting new markets in Europe kicked off and getting the whole world on Harley Davidson's basically. When you're at the top, you can only go down and that's the problem I see with Harley right now. And people are seeing their numbers drop, but what they don't realize is that they're still on the top. They're on the top of a crumbling mountain. So the, whatever. Um, so a first for the brand in this EV, because even with Buell, when, when he was making Ulysses and, and um, all sorts of sport bikes and stuff out of the Sportster platform, uh, they still didn't have... He had a Super TT. He had sport bikes. 
and he had uh, a Ulysses ADV bike. They still didn't have an electric bike. So this this Livewire truly is um, all brand new. And they're usually very tight-lipped. Even when Buell was part of the company, you, you didn't find out anything unless you were a dealer at the dealer meetings. And what happened at the dealer meetings stayed at the dealer meetings until the public was aware of it. Even at IMS and other shows, and uh, I know places that people may work that um, the show knows you're under an NDA. You can't talk about any information that you receive, and they don't even send information uh, as, 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 as far as head as they used to, right? So they're very tight-lipped. But all of a sudden last year, they tell us what their plans are for the next five years. They tell us what their plans are for Asian markets and all this and that. So they really are focusing their sh- their marketing shift on getting new riders, letting them know that, hey, we're looking for new riders. They're putting their uh, monster.com or whatever. I don't, is that even still a website? <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're putting out the old town crier. Are those still a thing? Uh, anyway, you get what I'm saying. They're projecting that, hey, we are looking for new riders and we're going to start making these vehicles. So when you're looking for a motorcycle, don't just look at the people that have always been there for you. Now look for Harley too. So uh, last year, they dropped a bombshell by not only announcing the live wire, but also the Street Fighter and an ADV, which is called the Pan American, which has been in uh, mentioned a few times this year because Charlie and Marley were riding them up here. I so thought they were going to be at IMS. Uh, their plan when they rode from South America up to L.A. would have coincided with um, this show, I thought. And they, maybe they're here right now. I don't know. So uh, my bad. But anyway... Uh, so it's a big deal. The live wires are a big deal. The Pan America is a big deal. Um, the, what showed up, at, well, the Bronx is their street fighter. So what showed up at IMS were only mock-ups. Um, they're the same styling prototypes. It actually said styling prototypes. They're the same ones they had at ICMA. Uh, at ICMA, they were locked away under glass and at IMS, they were locked away under glass like a butterfly at the Natural History Museum. So we got to see what they'll look like, but... Just like the plastic rendered Milwaukee 8 mock-up engines that look totally real, except for that you could they had a real one next to a, a blank, and you could tell, hey, look, they that blank looks so great. They just painted it to look real, right? That's exactly what the motorbikes were here. The tires were probably real, some of the framage was probably real, but a lot of the, the engines could have been totally fake. We don't know. Um, and definitely the seats and gas tanks were probably just plastic and fiberglass and wood and all that stuff. So just like the guys at Ducati said they didn't bring their Desert X concept here because although it looked like a legitimate real bike that you could sit on at ICMA, uh, most of it was wood and fiberglass, according to them. So, um, yeah, so we we didn't really get to see anything. Maybe next year, Harley. Maybe next year. Um, let's, they're kicking us out anyway. Let's move over here to American Honda. I'm getting hungry too. Like, damn, I want some lunch. Uh, so here, American Honda. Boop, 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 boop. They're pleased to announce the showcase of the all-new 2021. 2021? What's with Yamaha doing the 2021 Tenere? Everybody doing their 2021 crap here. Yamaha, now you too, Honda. You're the 2021 CBR1000RR-R Fireblade SPR-R. It focuses on outright track performance with an all-new engine. Do you remember how pissed off people were when the last CBR1000 uh, SP came out? And they're like, hey, this motor says all new, but it's exactly the same. For the most part, it was exactly the same. The dimensions were the same. 
Uh, little things like the covers and the water jackets and things like that were slightly different. There was, there were minute differences for sure. Um, like, look at the clutch cover. They're, they look different. What does that mean? Is the clutch inside different? Who knows? So uh, it could have just been a little tiny styling and stamping changes. But anyway, is the SP really all new? Well, it's got a brand new chassis and electronics that enhance the rider experience and also check out the next generation 2020 Rebels, Africa Twin, uh, and CRF Performance and Trail Lines, as well as the all-new Talon Sport Side-by-Sides, featuring the new two-passenger Talon 1000R and four-passenger Talon 1000X-4FOX Live Valve Model. Now, that's a stupid model name. Just call it a fucking Talon and say that it's got Fox shocks on it, right? This is this pisses me off. I'm getting matter and matter at the at the uh, industry that I love. So anyway, what are my notes? That was Honda's notes. What are my notes for Honda? Well, CBR 1000 RR RSP. It was really beautiful, but it didn't hold my attention as much as it should have. Sure, it's the latest greatest in factory race bike tech, um, while remaining like I guess minutely street legal only a limited number will be made so what the hell do I care I'll never probably get a ride one and uh, nor would I be able to push it to the limits it literally is a track bike um, so there I probably would be able to ride it to one fifth of its potential right um, and the body probably changed more than anything else the motor I, you know, looking at the specs it's got a new engine and chassis but so did the old one and when it came down to it the changes were some some of them not even visually different. Like the part numbers were different, which means the frame could have been a different uh, material or like a different color. So um, anyways, like anything else, it's, quote, new. Um, the integrated winglets probably help with speed and arrow and i noticed that that's that was a thing on a lot of bikes the h2 had them as well a lot of a, a lot of motorcycles now going to integrated winglets i think that's a world superbike rule you can have them as long as they're integrated into the standard fairing the suspension and brakes were all tuned for top speed for p- performance so what really is new for riders like you and me that won't be riding a bike at top speed around a track probably the new rebels The pricing has yet to be announced for the CBR. The bike is not designed to be driven through rush hour or on the way to and from work. And even a weekend rip through the canyons probably wouldn't be suited to the strengths because that rip has to be taken like at California Superbike School or on a track somewhere, not necessarily through the rough rough hills, you know, like it's a, a smooth paved circuit is what this baby's been tuned for, not even the you know, the rough roads and dirt-covered roads of the canyons. So American Honda's other news were the Rebels and the Africa Twin, basically. Uh, There's been some styling tweaks to the Africa Twin, but there was a ton of other enhancements. Uh, The Adventure Sports model gets a couple different letters added to it, like ES for electronic suspension. Both bikes still come with DCT transmissions, and Honda's selectable torque control, but cruise control and adjustable windshields are new. Um, so they're kind of like tweaking these bikes, figuring them out for over the past couple of years. The Adventure Sports ES model adds tubeless uh, spoke tires, heated grips, cornering lights, which is something that uh, a lot of bikes don't have, but they're going to. It's got longer suspension travel and an accessory socket. So either loaded up with more shit 
or jump higher jumps with it. Uh, the Rebels also both got upgraded with the, they upgraded the suspension a little bit where I think you can tune it now. They both got slipper clutches, LED lighting all around. And I got to say on the Rebels, the new LED lighting looks pretty awesome. Uh, the headlights have like four little bulbs or something in it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, a little four bulber. That's what my notes say. Um, and that introduces you to the darkness. Do you think I should mark it for Honda? Let me say this right. LED lighting showcased by a stunning four bulber out front to introduce yourself to the darkness. Yeah, Honda dark. No, it doesn't work. Anyway, let's, uh, let's round out the show. It's fucking lunchtime. And uh, here we are at IMS. Lunchtime happens. Oh, shit. Lunch happened right before Honda. My bad. That's when Chuck showed up and the whole show went south. I hung out with Chuck Brewer from the Wheel Nerds and uh, Brian, who works at Climber. Um, and I've seen him around at a bunch of shows. He writes for Ride Apart once in a while. And he writes for different uh, mags. And he works for Climber. So uh, pretty fun guy. He's, he was at Joe's Mini Bike Reunion, which I didn't know. And he's been at AIM. And uh, I met, saw him at the Electric Revolution show. Turns out uh, he knew Jesse Gentry, which uh, too late to have her on the show now. Um, she's moved away to the, the colds of the northern, Bend, uh, northern city of Bend, Oregon. Um, but anyway, yeah, I ran into him there and we chatted and made a new motorcycling friend. So Chuck and Brian, it was fun hanging out with them for lunch. But once Chuck shows up, shit goes sideways. He tried to sabotage my, my interviews. Once he gets there, I was barely paying attention to all the new news anyway because it was really didn't seem that new to me. It was like kind of like everybody tooting their own horns, which I, you're at a show. I mean, what do you expect people to do? But at the same time, you're feeding me the same spoonful of green peas, but now you're telling me they're not green peas. They're green stuff that has, yeah. And I'm supposed to just eat that up. So anyway, I did eat a free lunch. Thank you, Progressive, for that. Um, then we went to Honda and finally wrapped up with the Italians. Now, we're going to get to all the Italians here. Moto Guzzi, Aprilia, Vespa Piaggio, Ducati, and another one that we'll talk about in a second. So rounding out the show with the Italians, they are the ones who ruin it for everyone else, from the sexy, sexy Energicas, who actually presented before Honda, but uh, that's that, to the master of the valley, Ducati. And actually, there is a new master of the valley at Ducati. That's other news. That doesn't relate to the show. But anyway, all the Italians were here in full force to talk about what the enthusiasts love. Now, I can't tell you what that is because I'm not an Italian enthusiast of any kind. I don't like, aside from looking at the bikes, I really don't. It's okay. I'm not, I'm going to quit talking because I, I didn't want to just sit there and pretend to want a Vespa or Piaggio, but they, I probably would ride one. I have never met a motorcycle that I didn't want to ride. So even though I secretly did kind of want to hop on the 500cc leaning three-wheeler that we all know as the Nike and ripoff, <laughs> I mean the, uh, the MP3, um, I, that's about the only one I would have wanted to ride out of the Vespas. And uh, they're interesting. They are different from motorcycle. Um, Moto Guzzi, they had the new V85 TT and V75 Racer, but I thought those had already been out on showroom floors last year. Um, I thought the V85 TT was already existing. So I think they just changed the colors and called them something new. That was the theme of this year's show, like change a little bit and call it new. Um, so anyway, anyways, uh, they changed the Moto Guzzi uh, V85TT to uh, sand camo orange. Well, that's using a Harley terminology. But also, this is the same 
kind of tan uh, that the Toyota Tacomas came out with like 10 years ago. And sand camo or- uh, brown, sand camo orange, I said. I meant sand camo brown. I don't know when sand camo was last to color on stuff. Probably like five years ago when we were like, hey, we should uh, go, you know, get out of the uh, Afghan war or whatever the fuck. I don't, I don't even know. But, dude, there's colors that are already come and gone in the American um, uh, like fashion or whatever I'm trying to say, the American styling you should probably stay on top of those so you're not reintroducing colors that were hot like a decade ago uh, Ducati with the V4 Panigale and the V2 Panigale they were pretty boring for me as well I have a love-hate relationship with Ducati which is because I love to watch him race I used to love to watch Larry Pegram 8,000 years ago when he would rip around um, I, I like watching him race MotoGP it's World Superbike I, I never see him on the Isle of Man but I'm sure somebody brings him there but I hate to watch everyone go bananas over a brand for no real reason <laughs> uh, anyway um, the bikes weren't all that to me but I get it uh, you know anyway I, I don't know. I, I'm just not a... I, I love Ducatis. I love the styling of them. Whenever When I first saw Ducatis, even before I was into motorcycles, I love the way they look. That has a lot to say about the designer, not necessarily the motorcycles. Um, and anyways, they get smoked by BMW S1000RRs all the time on the track. So Ducati um, had their stuff there. The Street Fighter was awarded the most beautiful bike of the show at EICMA. Uh, but here you have the JP Cycles Custom Builder Award and the Ramming Speed Classic Track Take Corral with actual race bikes in both of them. And I don't think the, uh, the Street Fighter was the most beautiful of bike of IMS. So it, it actually isn't that beautiful to me as like the Panigale even. So I don't know what's up with that. Um, I don't need to be spoon-fed the Ducati Gelato to know that I don't believe all that hype. Um, Ducati is more to me. This is in my notes here. Ducati is my Camilla Bill. Yeah, the pictures are nice, but I don't know it. I'll never know the performance capabilities, and I don't even know if it's like you know, new rider or kid-friendly. So there's always that. The best part about the Italian experience at IMS Long Beach by far, I didn't really care about anything. Like even Energica, Energica's looked beautiful, got more battery capacity. Actually, they made the biggest impact with all the upgrades that they've got. But we won't talk about them because they're 600-pound electric bikes. And when you do that power-to-weight ratio thing like we did with the uh, Triumph, doesn't compare to like a H2 or a S1000RR or even like a lot of sports cars out there. They're just a little too heavy, even with all that power and torque, there's a little bit too much weight there. So anyway, the best part of the Italian experience was Moto Dafo. Moto Dafo is a local winery to me, and uh, they were they were in full force this year at the show. I don't think they were there last year. I, I would have noticed that. But anyway, their opera, the people that run Dafo have a love of vintage motorbikes and racing. Um, the very first year I started the show, they were putting on a, uh, a fundraiser there at the winery and they do all sorts of events uh, that focus on motorcycling or, or, or uh, blah, 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 orbit around the motorcycle sphere. Um, they support the motorcycle community. They're always at uh, the Italian, which you know, the Italian. <laughs> I need to stop talking right now. I need to drink some more Dafo wine. Actually, they gave us two two wines. They were really good, but my cheeks were burning <laughs> a little bit after that. Uh, anyways, they're always at the Californian Moto Show, which our friend Brady Walker puts on, and 
they're always out of the track days too. So that's pretty cool. It was just good to taste, see people that you could actually taste their passion. And I got to say, if you haven't had a Dafo wines, try it out. Scott from Race Reels also does a bunch of stuff with Dafo, and it's a beautiful place to um, go and do photo shoots. Well, we're coming up. How far are we into the show? An hour and a half. I still have a lot of interviews to come up, so we need to do that. Let me let me quickly wrap up five minutes of Discover the Ride because I'd be an idiot if I didn't talk about that. So Discover the Ride was Robert Pandia, who was a spokesman for IMS a long time ago and the Give a Shift founder, which you may remember me talking about a few uh, a couple years ago at Lucky Wheels. Um, right after, right before episode 110, um, he really put his mouth where his money is. His mouth. I said that like a Wisconsinite. <clears throat> and he put his mouth where his uh, poutine is, and he um, started to discover the ride. Our good friend Jordan Diggs was talking about it just a couple months ago when he was here over the summer recording with us. IMS is now doing videos. IMS is less of a motorcycle show, and they're trying to be more of a motorcycle experience. I got to get out there, and Robert's brother Manny, I've seen him at the show for like the last decade, and I did not realize that his, I didn't look at his name tag ever. Robert Pandia's freaking brother. So we, we got a chance to get out on some of the Yamahas. We got out on the Yamaha e-bikes, and this is their new to two thing. You get out on electric bicycles, and you get to feel the power assist pedaling. And once you hit those pedals, you start to take off, and you get to go right around the course and get the feel of speed and speed without your input. Yeah, you can pedal, but you don't need to for it to start going, which is the super cool thing about pedal assist. You pedal slow, the bike goes fast, as fast as you have it set to go. So you get to feel that, um, what it's like for the machine to be uh, in charge while you're operating it, right? So after you do a few laps on that, you get to go out on zero FX... S's? No, yeah, yeah, they were the FX or FXS. I don't know which one it was, but um, I think it was the FXS. And they took the battery packs down to half so that the bikes aren't as heavy as a production bike. So that if you're uh, new to motorcycling, which some of the people there were new to electric bicycles, pedal assist, and new to motorcycling. Some of the people that were there for media day. I thought that was incredible. So they got to do the full experience that you're going to get to do when you arrive there. So we get on the bikes and we go around and it's super fun. I was chasing down Chuck from Wilner. I was just right behind him. He was crop dusting me the whole way. Um, then we get on the motorcycles, and like I said, they are limited to like 12 miles an hour, and they are half the weight of a production one, so they've halved the battery so they can recharge faster, and they're not as heavy. And I tipped it over and tipped it back up, and it's as light as Spamela. So it's lighter than a 250. And I, I, said, I told him, I said, Robert, I want to tip this over and feel how heavy it is. It's not intimidating at all. If you've never ridden... And, I mean, IMS is already going on in another city as you're hearing this, I think. But if you get a chance, go to one of the shows and check it out. You will not regret it. And then on the side of that, they had the um, electric bike uh, wheelie machine and electric bike or uh, the wheelie poses and all that stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff to discover the ride and new to two, um, along with the stuff that Jordan's putting out. He's been going to riding schools. He's been going to uh, review smaller bikes for people to getting into, even though starter bike is a uh, makes a lot of sense overseas where you have tiered licensing here. It's still a good idea. And he proves that some of these bikes, even though they're 300 cc's and they're quote smaller he's like six feet and the guy that he was riding with us was like six foot 12 which makes him seven feet 
Uh, and yeah, so like that's four meters if you're uh, going into <laughs> using the metric conversions. And um, it's actually 18 feet in uh, in SAE, by the way. Anyway, tall people, small bikes, they're made for everybody. Anyways, with that, let's wrap it up here. Chuck, get the... God, Chuck ruined everything. And I see him right over there. He didn't see us as we traveled back in time because there's me and him over there. Just like Marty McFly, you and I are going to need to sneak by so that the old me and new me and you don't see each other. So let's take a... um, Let's go over here and hide and then queue up our uh, interviews and come right back with some more action from IMS. Lizong Bazich. All right, all right. That was a quick break, wasn't it? We are back, and it's time to get into some interviews from IMS Long Beach 2019. This year, I had the chance to stop by, talk to some old friends, talk to some new friends, and talk to some pretty amazing people, some people that are doing some real good for the motorcycling world. So... We're going to get into some interviews right now, and I have to warn you, the sound quality at IMS was treacherous this year. Lots of background noise, lots of, um, well, I I also had my recorder set up a little bit different, so the, maybe I should just drop the interview into this uh, audio, um, digital audio workstation and edit it in here because I don't want it to sound too bad, but I got to tell you, IMS was busy this year. All right, let's drop in this interview right now. Yeah. How? All right, guys, first stop this year, IMS. We're headed over to the Adventure Out section. We're going to talk with a manufacturer. I want to know. I want to find out what exactly has changed since we visited this person and got the deets on their products from last year. You mean like what's changed in the last year? Uh, I got a year older. <laughs> right. That's amazing. You look a year younger. What the heck? <laughs> so in case you guys don't know who we're talking with, we met this person last year. We talked about the amazing products that just kind of caught us out of the blue at last year's IMS. Yeah, I'm Al, uh, Al Jesse from Moto Manufacturing. You want a, do you want a, a blurb on the mirror lock as well? Yeah, because mirror lock has changed somewhat a little bit too, right? Uh, well, well, what we've done on the mirror lock, and of course it's, it's all about actually uh, elevating and pushing the mirror out past your shoulders and uh, seeing more than your shoulders. That's what it's really all about. And of course we've added the lock. You can uh, lock your uh, helmet or coat. Uh, and also with the uh, polyurethane O-rings that we install, uh, it, it's an anti-vibration, anti-harmonic. Uh, uh, actually, you can adjust your harmonics. Um, and um, yeah, so what we what we've done with that is we've added little things like uh, the Motodoc, which is a one-inch uh, knurled aluminum ball machine. Uh, and, and it holds all of your cameras or uh, GPSs and such. And uh, it replaces some of the ramble, some of the rubber ramble down the bottom. Now, rubber is, is great. It's fine. But you want your rubber not down at the end of the whole mirror. You want it at the top of the mirror so it doesn't... So 
by, by putting the motodoc on, it solid makes it super solid, super strong, and non-collapsible, of course. Now, last year, too, I, don't, I, I remember mirror lock being a, its own piece, and this year you have mirrors that actually clamp onto the mirror lock, or, or you made these ram mounts, and so everything's modular in a way. That's, yeah, that's right. And, that, and then basically that's what we've done with the moto dock because it uh, now can uh, work. And we have a lot of people, and not only just with the double-take mirrors, but we have a lot of people that put their GoPro and such on it. And that's part of the harmonics. That's part of the, the, the anti-vibration because inside we have five polyurethane O-rings <coughs> and they come in a, in a durometer. It's called durometer. Durometer is like the squish of rubber, you know, whether you're a rubber band or a tire. I mean, they have different durometers, right? So we can have three different durometers in here. So we have people that put a GoPro, which is super light, not like the abuse of mirror takes. So you need a smaller, softer, uh, durometer to actually make it anti-vibration, so it's a, it's a, it's adjustable. Yeah. yeah. And so that that's part of the engineering that you're putting into yeah. these things. They look they look simple. Last yeah. year I came over and I couldn't believe how no one's thought of this before. But then when you started to walk me through it, I realized looks can be deceiving because it is complicated yeah. and complex. Although it's a very simple design, and you guys have executed it super super well. Uh, now the the ram mounts and the ball mounts. How, do those what sizes do those come in? Well, they're all uh, one inch. And uh, just a note too, uh, we we have a patent on it. We had a patent on it two years ago. So uh, I've been working on it for quite a few years before that. So it it uh, uh, and we warranted because uh, this actually fits in the last ten years. Uh, motorcycles sold in the United States. There's been five million that can be these can be installed on so that's why we got a patent on it um anyway um so the the the, the uh ram mount is uh, uh or the moto dock is aluminum machined knurled and uh we have a through bolt here which is eight mil all handlebars are eight mil the mirrors are tens either 10 by 125 thread pitch or 10 by 15 so we have those as a uh option as well so it just replaces, uh, yeah, people that have, like, uh, uh, double-take, double-take mirrors. And last year you were explaining to me the importance of that. You were mentioning now the GoPro. People don't want shaky. I mean, they make GoPros now that steady everything, but start with a good base and you won't have that problem. And also the people can't see out of their mirrors. I recently got a new bike, and the mirrors... Uh, at certain speeds, the harmonic vibrations renders yeah. them useless, right? Exactly, and it depends. As far as the harmonics, harmonics really is what about is about. If you're cruising at 70, you just like 70 because you like that RPM, you just like that speed. Your mirrors may have a buzz in them, and that's the harmonics of it. If you want to actually change that, if you like that speed, and that's fine. A lot of times you go 70, 75, they're fine, but you don't want to do that. So, so that's by changing the durometer that that will actually change that harmonics so and then i noticed that somebody has already asked you because i follow you guys on twitter and instagram and i on twitter somebody i think had asked you a question about a longer bolt i don't know what risers they were using but you you're you basically have made these so that anybody no matter what bike can adapt it yeah it's unlimited because on the uh, eight mils it's a through bolt and when we when we uh sell it to you on the eight mil Eight, excuse me, eight mil. We actually sent a, a washer and a nut, and obviously you don't need it for your handlebar. But you can bolt it to your rack, 
you can bolt it to your crash bar you can bolt because then you can put your GoPro there a real nice place to put a GoPro and, and uh, I only recommend it for a short period of time I have one on my front axle okay but with the mountains in the background and with the really low profile uh, take your GoPro put it there for just a while <laughs> it won't last long uh, and uh, the perspective of the road and the mountains coming up brilliant and how do you attach it through the axle bolt is basically your, your it screw right it screws in because of the screw bolt it's just an eight mil allen they're all eight mil no not all but uh, most of them are eight mil yeah a lot of eight mil allen so you can you can bolt this anywhere you want yeah that's pretty amazing and then if you follow uh, you know follow Al and or Moto Manufacturing on uh, Instagram and all this stuff you'll see you guys have been incredibly busy this year this last year how much traveling would you say you've been doing versus last year uh, two countries 25 states so far we're not done yet yeah, that's, that's more than I have, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I saw you guys at rallies. I mean, you guys have really been working it. Has it paid off for as far, you know, for getting the name out there and getting people interested? It is. I mean, it's, it's uh, I've been in the industry, in the motorcycle industry, since 71. Uh, and uh, the markets have changed up and down on various, various uh, ways. But initially, it was all about meeting the people. In between there, it was a little bit about, you know, dealer type, yeah, dealer type stuff. But then now it's right, it's really all back to, I don't care how big a, big a company you are, it's back to meeting the people, you know? Because everybody has a, everybody has a different situation and, 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 and you got a multi, everything has a multi-test, especially that's why this little guy, one inch by one inch by three inch, does multiple things, so. Yeah, and I, I believe last year you're, your mantra was like multiple uses, multiple, you know, it was it was all about being multiple things, not just one thing. Because if you're going to add it, it has to be a value-added option to a motorcycle. What types of people are buying these? Are you seeing more ADV guys or more sport bike guys that want to get a GoPro mounted there? Or are there even Harley guys using this kind of stuff? Is it just a little bit of everybody? Yeah, it is. It's a little about everybody. I've I, uh, been in the um, adventure industry for forever uh, before it started. And so we have our following there, and that's fine. But uh, a lot of FJOs, uh, FJO 9s, uh, that type thing, uh, because, hey, you're commuting, especially California. We're in California. Uh, you sit in 50-mile traffic. It's nice to not look at and turn around. You've, you're lane splitting over here. You turn around, sorry, you don't know what that car did. So you have to keep, it, it's just, they just work so, so, so brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I have to, to be honest, on the way here this morning, there was a couple times where I didn't want to look behind me because I was lane splitting in some really slow moving traffic. And the I wanted to check to see if there was other riders coming behind me. And they were, the mirrors were buzzing at that speed. And I was like, oh man, so... Uh, it was one of those things. Now, these, I thought about you the other day because I had to go to jury duty, and I wasn't thinking of you because of criminals in the court system yeah. or any of that great stuff, right? <laughs> but I was lane splitting in some traffic where it was extremely close together on the 110 through downtown L.A., and I didn't know if these would work for me. Do you make the, I mean, is there a way to um, mount these, turn them or something, so that you still get the benefits of no vibration, but they're not so far outboard? Well, sure. I mean, you pivot off where your stock mirror goes, so you could actually turn it anywhere you want. But let me straighten something out. Okay, what is at this mirror, at this elevated mirror height and extension, Where, who is there? 
four-wheel drives only. Cars have a shape. So, sorry, shape. It doesn't hit a car, no. Good point, because no. my mirrors, the way they stick up, they're going primarily over car mirrors already. So this making it higher, I guess, I'm only going to no. be worrying about box trucks or 4x4s, four and there's those guys are wide enough that you can get around them. So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was, I was just thinking, man, I, I wish I had a, I wish I had some of these, and then I was thinking, well, I already feel like my mirrors stick out so far anyway, I was wondering, but you know. Not, not an issue. Yeah. No. And good point. If, if it is, and you need to temporarily rotate them, you could. I oh, mean, yeah, absolutely. It's because of the, uh, the stock mirror goes into our polyurethane O-rings, it now isolates it from the bike. So you can actually turn it. But if you're lane splitting, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know. You know, it's just me. <laughs> and last year, now this, the Moto Dock is obviously new for, yeah. from last year. Last year you were also, is this one of the secret squirrel things? Because you told us you had some things in the works you couldn't quite talk about. Is this one of them? Uh, well, it is. Uh, but uh, we have two other little, little things. Yeah, yeah. We have a solar thing that I've been working on for a long time. And the solar industry has changed a, a lot, a lot. You know, that technology is amazing and uh, even from the difference in a year from uh, from uh, doing the we did a prototype uh, and the next year uh, our prototype was about 60% of the size and it put out 25% more power so it, it's really it's really getting tiny and it's it's great so basically what I'm hearing is repeat business. We'll be back here next year to yeah. see uh, what, you, what you popped out. And it's great just to see. And, you know, um, I'm here with Chuck from the Wheel Nerds, too. He, was, he invited himself along to this interview, by the way. But he, he knew you from your luggage days. I mean, oh. so it's just crazy. You have been in the industry for, for a long time. And 71. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, have to, I do have to ask, not many people go barefoot around L.A. unless yeah. they're sleep, sleeping on the streets. Well, I've been riding bikes since, uh, I don't know, 60-something. Um, and no, it's not a bike. I got a, uh, a fun toy called a one-wheel. Do you know a one-wheel? Yeah. Love it. Well, it didn't like me, so it put a hole through there and it ding, 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 ding. Yeah, so I got a few scrapes. So right so now... No, okay. it, they do fit in there, but I've got a, I've got a, a scrape uh, yeah. that actually hits it. And uh, it's, a, I, you know, it's my fault. It's a one wheel. Like every, everyone in L.A. says, we've got our reasons <laughs> and you don't need to know them. So, but hey, it was super good to talk to you guys. I'm, you know, obviously we'll be back next year and see what yeah. you got coming back. And even the little changes that you've made here good. is uh, a huge leaps and bounds over last year even. I mean, it's so cool to see you jumping into a modular market one last thing i have to ask you before we go there, there's a company a couple rows over called ram mounts yep. does this, is this compatible with their stuff uh yeah exactly uh, theirs is just a rubber uh so we went with the aluminum so a more hard uh, uh a stout mount right. so yeah so when your rubber ram mount breaks come on over to motor manufacturing and uh exactly exactly that's right yeah so all your stuff will be compatible. Well, hey, thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, I'm going to take some pictures and then uh, get Chuck escorted out of here ASAP. So thanks, Al, for hanging out with us. If people want to follow you, uh, I know you're all over Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Motor Manufacturing, everywhere you're listed. Uh, yeah, that's correct. 
So check him out on the social medias, and I will definitely put links in this uh, show. Yes, Chuck? <laughs> okay. So before we move on to our next interview, I'd really like to say thanks to Al for providing us a behind-the-scenes look at what the motorcycling industry used to look like back in the day. Locally made stuff, uh, improvements on uh, a burgeoning market, you know, making new components for stuff that already exists just because you see a need for something to get better. Before all this internet uh, wave of every single thing you could possibly think of in Farkles and Fruity Farkles, it's a Farkle that's made with a purpose. All right, our next interview is going to take us to the other side of IMS, far away from the Adventure Out booths, over to back, well, back to the uh, new to two section. And had I known who I was going to be talking to next, I I walked into this um, interview kind of blind. And my stupidity and lack of research shows I was talking to some heavy lifters in the motorcycle industry. And we're going to talk with them right now. We're going to hear a little bit about their story. And I hope you're as as amazed as I was when I walked out of that booth. been wandering around. I ran into Portia from Black Girls Ride and WRN. You know, she's repping WRN this year. I hunted her down, but she's not in her booth now. She's running around. So I decided, what the heck? I'm here already. Let's stop and talk to some people here. So I'm with Sarah now, who uh, works here at WRN. So it turns out Sarah doesn't just isn't just a part of WRN. She's a huge part of the motorcycling community in general and the industry. And she deserves so much. <laughs> uh, she just has so much patience for me that she deserves all the kind words I could give her. She was she answered all my stupid questions and um, kind of helped me through the interview as I kind of stumbled through it. So here's Sarah. I'm Sarah Schilke with WomenRidersNow.com. And I'm the co-chairwoman of the leadership board. I'm coming into this interview blind, and so I need to know, what's WRN, and what are you guys doing here at IMS? So Women Riders Now has been around basically since 1999, so like 20 years. It's been the number one motorcycling magazine for women and the men who ride with them. Um, it's not. It used to be a print publication, but now it's an online uh, community and an online magazine where we've got content that's curated by and for women that a lot of men find interesting, too. And since doing this interview, I have gone to peruse the pages of Women Writers Now. And I have to tell you, you have to visit womenswritersnow.com and check it out. Everything from gear reviews to bike reviews. You might even see our friend Liza Miller on there about a thousand times. They cover all sorts of biker stuff. And I think you will find it interesting whether you're a guy or a girl. So now you need to check out the length of time that these people have been around doing what they've been doing. Um, you said 1999. Where, have, where were you guys hiding out? Where, was it just like a weird space because motorcycling was primarily like a, a guy thing were, were you guys trying to make a dent then and it's just come you know it's taken this long to get into the marketplace or where because this is that blows my mind that you guys have been around so long you you were print and now you're going with like everybody else to digital right well the history that started in 1999 basically the woman who founded uh, womenwritersnow.com genevieve schmidt She started out back in 1999, um, and the publication was a small, like, print magazine, like a zine, called um, Asphalt Angels, and that eventually evolved into Woman Rider magazine, um, that was a print publication, and then the publishing company decided to discontinue 
Woman Writer Magazine. And so Genevieve took the whole thing and turned it into the online version of that, womenwritersnow.com. And now it exists only in the online form. That's so funny because when you said Genevieve Schmidt, the name automatically rings a bell. Uh, It's like a, you know, if you're a writer, you know, you know what I mean? And it's cool to see you guys here. You guys have a lot going on. There's, you have quite a few people in your booth with you. Um, what does everybody do that's, that you've got? They're not in here right now, so luckily we can talk some smack if, if we need. But what, what does everybody do that's here, and what roles do you guys have at, uh, at WRN? Well, uh, Women Writers Now decided that they wanted to uh, bring on a leadership board to help them kind of just be more in touch with the community and and have a little bit more outreach. And so um, Aaron Sills, who's a land speed world record holder, and I are the co-chairwomen of the leadership board. Portia is one of the leadership board members, along with Elisa Clickinger, who's a women's motorcycle tour guide. And uh, uh, Robin, well, she, she goes by Roco, and she works for MotoQuest, which is a, a tour company. They offer a lot of tours for women and a lot of co-ed tours all over the world. So if I'm a woman and I want to find out, you know, what sort of like writing is in my area, is this something I would, you know, would I come to you guys as a resource or is, is it a resource for like any, th- all things writing? Because the names that you've mentioned are very diverse and actually have been around in the moto community for quite a while. What type of stuff would I be coming to WRN to find out? So we do some bike reviews from a female perspective. Um, we have just a lot of general articles about motorcycling, um, maintenance tips, you know, the usual things, but um, from a woman's perspective. We also have a list of uh, national clubs, so that would probably be the way that someone would find out about routes, is to get involved with one of the clubs, a national club, but at their local level. Um, And then we have online community as well, so riders can interact with each other on the online communities. So the women that comprise this uh, network, Women Writers Network, come from a diverse background, and they are all very passionate about motorcycling, obviously. And Sarah, bless her heart, she she was kind of diverting attention away from herself. I know she's got some secret hiding in there that she's like a big uh, moto bigwig, but I was asking her about some of the names. I've heard some of these names and follow a lot of these names on um, throughout the motorcycle industry on other platforms, like social media platforms and LinkedIn and places like this. And I've seen them at professional, uh, other professional events and media days. And so here she describes one of the women that also co-chairs the board with her. Um, well, Aaron Sills recently retired from an executive career at Facebook. <laughs> um, uh, because she, you know, she wanted to get more involved in motorcycling. And so when the Women Riders Now opportunity came up, she jumped on it. But she's been recognized by uh, the AMA Hall of Fame. Um, she's involved with the International the International Federation of Motorcycling's Women's Commission um, and a bunch of other stuff that she does. So, yeah, she's definitely a public figure. Yeah, and everybody... You guys truly are creative writers and the fact that like you, it sounds like everybody has had some sort of role aside from what drove them you know, to work here. Um, she's a land speed racer and I noticed you got a little boot on your foot. Is that motorcycle related? Uh, it's actually not motorcycle related, but it's, I, I need to come up with a better story about that. But um, yeah, my day job is I work um, as an area manager for BMW Motorrad. 
Yep, and so, uh, and I've been a longtime rider. I've been a huge fan of Genevieve forever too. So um, yeah, this is just like a passion project for all of us. Well, that was awesome. That phone ringing there in the middle of an interview, that was my phone. It was uh, our last guest trying to get a hold of me. Um, besides throwing me off a little bit, my train of thought, it, it, I just, I had a very thin train of thought going to begin with and Sarah was so nice. I was trying to ask her and trying to convey my opinion of the, just the breadth of the, and the scope of women that are part of this um, network and part of this organization. It didn't really come across like that. I edited all this, all of it out. I, I was really stumbling for words there, but I wanted her to know that Everybody that she mentioned and every single role that they play in Women's Rider, Women's Rider Network is uh, just so amazing. And I, I wondered, are they looking for more people? So let's find out. Just, it, it's amazing what type of uh, women tend to join and what type of women, are you guys like seeking any leadership right now? Or do you guys look for people to come on, maybe help do other projects like side projects or anything like that? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we are the go-to place for everything women in motorcycling, so we do have a broad spectrum of people who visit us. Um, Genevieve was very much uh, aligned with the cruiser community, so there is a heavy element of cruiser riders, but we also have a lot of everything else, sport riders, adventure, everything. Um, And women riders now, they just launched this leadership board. It's kind of a new thing. Um, We, I think we're looking to find a few more members for the leadership board down the down the road Um, but we're always looking for reader stories like readers to send us their stories about how they got into riding or what they do with riding and reader stories are one of the most popular features um, on the site so we're excited to invite people to send us their stories Um, or even if you know we're always looking for contributors who can um, give us stories for other things as well so and that's an amazing part of this show. I love coming and talk. You know, there's there's everybody here is selling something, but what I love doing is connecting with the people and hearing the story and, and how they got into writing it myself. You know, that's like almost more interesting half the time than what they're trying to sell you. But I love the fact that you guys are a network or, you know, like a hub for this right now. And uh, I feel, I don't know, I'm excited to, to, to speak with some of the other ladies about stuff. Um, tell people you just, you jumped the Grand Canyon and you, uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't, you know, we just talked to uh, another manufacturer and he hurt his foot on a one, he did trials for years and rode motocross, hurt his foot on one of those one wheel skateboards. So it's popular. They, motorcyclists are so safe when we ride, right? But then we, it's other stuff that takes us out. So, Sarah, thank you. If anybody wants to um, contact you guys, submit a story, go on the you know blogs, read a bike review, is it all, you know, where can, is that central hub where they can reach you? So, um, if they just go to womenridersnow.com, um, there's links to our editors and how to um, just contact us. Um, and any of our social media, we also pay attention to that too, so we can be contacted that way too. And, oh my God, good news, Porsche's back. Looking for you? We are looking for you, lady. Yeah. Here, jump into this interview. No, okay. no, we're no, no. <laughs> we're gonna let we're gonna let Sarah have some credit here. She's been doing a great job. I came in, awesome. yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for talking to us. Now that Porsche's here, we're gonna clobber her over the head with a couple questions oh. and uh, and talk to her about writing and all that great stuff. Thank you so much, Sarah. Coming on. People can't see this handshake, but it happened. I love it. <laughs> all right.
right. So Sarah, she was so patient with me. Thank you so much, Sarah. And thanks for everything. I've been checking out women writers now over the last couple of days. And there really is a lot of content on there. You really have to check it out. And like she said, they are part of a leadership board to get people more involved, uh, put feelers out to the community and see who's reaching out and how they can reach back. And I don't know of any other magazine that does that. Most magazines are reviews, gear reviews, ride reviews. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, chopper magazines that are like custom, what's custom this, what's custom that. There's Rider Magazine and Racer X Magazine and all these things, and Roadrunner, and these all let you know what's going on. There's a thousand... M- magazines that tell you what's happening in the sport of motorcycling. There's very few magazines that ask you, hey, what are you up to? And tell you, hey, here's what we saw that you might like. So for what it's worth, check it out. Women's writers. Women's? Why do I say women's? Women is the plural of woman. So women's is... (laughs) possessive. I don't know why I keep saying women's writers now. It's womenwritersnow.com. Go check it out right now before I, I slap you one. All right. Now it's Porsche's turn. All right, everybody. Well, I'm wandering around here. IMS 2019. It's another great year. A lot of great bikes, a lot of great things happening. But one of the coolest things is that I've ran into a few friends today that I've met at other events. And one of the people that I, I see everywhere, everywhere, from uh, the give a shift thing at Lucky Wheels that happened, you know, the round table a few years ago. Running, in, I, I actually seen you a few times at IMS and I've seen you at a different events all over um, LA. Uh, right now, I'm gonna let her introduce herself, but um, we have somebody here that is uh, also part of Women's Writers Network, but also has a couple other roles too. And I'm gonna let her just uh, jump in here and say her name real quick. Hey, it's Portia Taylor with Black Girls Ride Magazine. I'm also here repping for Women Writers Now on the leadership board. And I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, man. We've been meaning to catch up for a while. Yeah, I know. I tend to hide in the background and like just kind of take in the events like a, uh, a good reporter does without really getting too interactive. But on my podcast, I really love to connect with people that are creative writers and obviously you ride, we're, and, you, and you've been around. We were, we were shooting the shit over some bikes earlier, and you got a really good perspective. What brought you to WRN, of all things? Well, a lot of my mentors are on the leadership board. They asked me to contribute. Um, the goal is just to in, encourage more women riders to get involved, not just in riding in general, but in different aspects of power sports. So I'm excited to help them do that. Um, I'm excited to help bring... Uh, uh, a different perspective to the to the community and um, that's they kind of found me but I'm excited to be here and you've been a big part of the um, motorcycle scene for quite a while how long have you been riding for I started riding in 2003 actually I saw a movie called biker boys back then right and in that movie all of the women were riding their own bikes and they were riding big bikes. They weren't riding like little um, little bikes. So it was just a really powerful image. And that's what encouraged me to get my first bike, which was a Kawasaki Ninja ZX6R. I love that bike more than I love most people. <laughs> and I rode it until, you know, I, I just kind of outgrew it, I think. But it was a great uh, bike for the time. And that I just built on it, you know, from then on. I started the magazine, Black Girls Ride, in 2011. 
And um, the, the purpose for that was to just give some representation to women of color in motorsports. Back then when I started, there really wasn't much in the way of media, media coverage, advertising, marketing at all. But I knew that because of uh, you know the community that I was riding in, that there was a huge part of the segment that was being underserved. So instead of complaining, I decided, let's be the change. And it's worked out really well. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, the community of riders as well as the industry has really gotten behind us. Um, and we're helping them add you know, an element of visualization to their campaigns. Uh, the Motorcycle Industry Council taps me for imagery for, for their stuff. Um, a lot of the different video shoots or uh, 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 commercials will reach out to me when they want to get some women of color represented. And I'm excited to be that conduit. And that's awesome. And last year we were here at the Indian, I think it was, I forget who was with you, but you had like three buddies with you and you guys were all like, you guys were hammering out different segments here and there, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, in your role at Black Girls Ride, what sort of stuff do you guys, and is it blackgirlsride.com, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's an online magazine. It's actually a magazine format. It's free. Uh, you can go to the website and get the current issues. And then we also po post different articles and events as well on the main website. So feel free to check it out um, and give us your feedback. How has your readership been affected? Like, has it been growing over the past few years? Absolutely, we're we're excited. Our readership has grown tremendously, um, both um, through our newsletter and actual social media. I think it helps when folks can visualize themselves on the bike. So I think that by choosing high quality images of not just women draped sexily on top of a motorcycle, but actual women riders in biker gear and um, on different trips. I think it, it has helped to showcase that we are indeed a part of the community and we do have a voice. When I think of biker boys, I always think of like a, a funny, you know, so when I think of biker boys, I always think sort of like a, not a, I know it's not intended to be a comedy, but I always think of it, if you're not a bike, it's like watching Fast and Furious and being a car guy. Half the stuff is BS in that, right? And so I never thought of that. And hearing you talk about it, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it and see this because, yeah, I never really thought of that to me being an inspiring movie. Um, but that is powerful imagery. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. And so... Um, I'm interested what sort of stuff when you obviously you're trying to get women writing and your imagery and stuff like that. How do you feel like even being here, like the marketing and all that stuff, they don't really market. They're doing it more and more to ladies. But do you feel like you guys have been like a positive influence on that? Because like you're a bit, to me, you're a big personality here in L.A. I see you everywhere. So, I mean, I know you've got to have some impact on the industry. You know what? I am excited to say that that um, myself personally, but Black Girls Ride in general has had. Uh, an impact on the industry. I think um, for the first time ever, right, since I started the magazine, I'm seeing Harley Davidson use women of color in their advertising, which is something that hasn't happened. Um, the first time I'd ever seen it was in 2015 with BMW. And after that, we, we did a program with Indian where one of our riders was featured in their campaigns. But um, so I'm starting to see it become more and more of a trend. And I'm starting to get tapped more and more for some of that imagery. Um, regarding women overall, I do feel the shift toward um, the conversation with women riders. For the longest time, we were thought of as the passenger 
or you know the uh, relegated to only the smaller bikes but now um, it's important as we start to do more social media so you're seeing us take these long distance journeys I'm a long distance rider so every summer I clock about between 20 and 25,000 miles um, between here and Brooklyn New York and uh, you know I did um, this this winter actually just I did a 19-day ride from um, Maine <laughs> well wait we flew into Boston then we went up to Maine for the it's the women's um, relay women's world relay we were right amazing ride um, we went up to Maine got the baton from Canada came all the way back down to the West Coast came back through Colorado and Texas down to Mexico and ended at the border. And that was 19 days, about 7,500 miles just in that trip. Um, but every year I ride from Los Angeles to New Orleans for Essence Fest, uh, where we take 250 women across country from all parts of the United States to gather in New Orleans for the weekend. And then from there I leave and go to Brooklyn, New York, to see uh, my family there, and I've got uh, my motorcycle club, Steel Horses MCL. I'm, I'm the vice president of LA chapter, but the, our mother chapter's in Brooklyn, so I move around all summer. And so the conversation that um, had traditionally been reserved for women riders doesn't necessarily apply to me. I'm looking for a bike that's stabler, I'm looking for a bike that's got comfort, that's got storage capacity, that's got engine power, and so, you know, it's important for those. Uh, manufacturers to speak to those notions and with social media they're able to see that women are riding bigger bikes and we are making purchasing decisions we're not just relegated to the back and you know oh can my husband afford a bike you know what I mean it's a little different and I think it's important to note that a lot of them are realizing that if the woman rides then the kids in the house will probably ride and then the husband will probably ride. And now you've got a family that rides. So, you know, it's easy to, to think of it as a family unit that way if you start with the woman. And I think a lot of the, the trends in order to save the industry, because everybody's talking about ridership now, in order to save the industry, you've got to start with the women. Women hold the keys. So I'm hoping that, you know, that we get, we, send, we continue to see this not as a trend because what happens is you get these, um, you know, the, the Motorcycle Industry Council reports 19% of all riders are female and you see a trend for that next year, right, uh, of marketing to women, but then it kind of falls off. So I'm hoping that they create consistent campaigns that talk to us. I'm hoping that they take note um, of bikes that fit us better. Um, lower seat height, uh, you know, more stable, um, more stable bikes, um, and I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm an Indian rider. I love Indian motorcycles because they take all that into consideration. Ergonomically, it's the best fit for me. Um, but I'm also seeing that trend with other brands, and I'm just hoping that it lasts. You know. Yeah, you know, one year NASCAR might be hot, the next year Formula One's hot. I say, it's a, I see it with motorcycling too, and I was gonna say I, I don't know if I was making a funny face, but when you said luggage and store, I knew you're definitely that Ninja 650 is out the door at that point. So what are you on now? It sounds like you're on a substantial bike. I'm on an Indian Chieftain Limited. I absolutely love it. It's super comfortable. Um, so I'm a tech girl, right? So it's important for me that the bike have the gadgets and the technology to help aid in comfort. 
I feel like we're in 2019. I shouldn't have to be dealing with outdated technology and just kind of happy that the bike has certain things, you know? For the money that we're spending, it's not too much to ask for a decent uh, system, a, a decent GPS system. The ride command system on an Indian has everything that I need from GPS to great music to, uh, you know, giving me readouts and everything that I need to know about what's going on at the bike in real time. It's got an automatic windscreen that comes up and down. You got cruise control. You got power locks for the bags. All of that stuff for a great price. You know, I think uh, I think the limited is like 26 or 27, which is amazing. Well, listen, I just test rode the new Indian Challenger over these last couple of weeks. And I'm going to tell you, um, I'm a fan of ride everything. That's my motto. I don't, I'm not like only for one brand in particular because, you know, there's new technology coming out every day. Harley's got a lot of work to do. They just showed us this Pan American uh, um, uh, adventure bike that they're showcasing for 2021. So they're already, they're, they're telling me it's, it's now a year out at least before we'll actually get to test ride it. Um, and the Challenger, the Indian Challenger is already killing them on horsepower. It's killing them on performance. It's killing them on torque. It's killing them on price point. Price point. You're telling me I can get a full service bagger for $22,000? That's something to consider. That's about eight to 10 less than uh, uh, Harley. And although I, I am impressed that Harley, I was talking to my buddy who's like a Harley, recently became a Harley dude from like a sport tourer guy. And we were talking and I said, you know, when now that Harley's trying to play catch up with the RDRS and all that stuff and they're trying to come on board, everybody wins because eventually they'll get there. I mean, they maybe yeah. they'll get there. They're, they're behind though. They are behind the curve when it comes to, um, technology i'll just say it like um what they're doing now with uh their their tech has been done with bmw for ages you know right at least right um so you know it's but it's good for the market it's gonna it's gonna open up um and you know the the, the real thing is what i heard from their press day the most is they're trying to capture the global market you can't do it without an adventure bike it's not possible you know, um, the, the V-Twin bagger is only going to go so far. And the smaller bikes, there's just too many for people to choose from at a lower price point overseas. So in order for them to really capture and get in that game, I see the, I see the play. Uh, but again, I hope it's not a trend. You know what I'm saying? And then in five years from now, we see them slide back or whatever, whatever happens. What they've done with Buell. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we're seeing what's happening with Livewire. Although I want to go and test ride a live wire this weekend. I'm excited to do that. But it was here, then it was gone, then it was here, then it was gone, you know? So it, it's all about, I think, consistency. And when it's ready, it's baked, then you roll it out. You know, I think, again, there's such a, a fascination with having a trendy story for the, the season. And you don't, you're not baking the product. And then you're having to, you know, you got people that have invested in this thing now. Now you got to go back to the drawing board. So whatever you deliver us, I want it to be baked. And I think that's what I see from some of the other brands. You got finished product that feels good, that feels great, it's ergonomically great. And you know, that's what exciting them. Yeah, exactly. The price point is amazing. You know, come on, I got cruise control. I got, you know, 
this is stuff that you'd have to spend thirty, forty thousand dollars to get on a Harley. So um, we're talking about speed. They got some work to do because that Power Plus motor with the sport mode is not a game. <laughs> it's not a game. So I'll be. It'll be interesting to see what they come with um, now that they've got a lower torque, uh, liquid cooled motor. Will they put that in a in a bagger and will they figure out how to get more torque, more horsepower out of it? You know, we'll see. But what they've got right now, it, it's not going to get the job done against that Challenger. I know. I think it's. I think they need to take a couple of years because see, a couple of years ago they came out with everything, and I don't think they knew what Indian was planning. And now I feel like it's their turn to kind of re take a step back and see what they can do. Like you said, we have. They have the stuff. Let's just see what we could do. Like, it, it, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, Indian has been really strategic in how they roll out their stuff, and um, it's 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 actually fun to watch from a marketing standpoint. It's fun to watch it. Um, so now you've got, it's almost like they're forcing Harley's hand to rush this liquid-cooled motor to market so that they're, they're letting you know, we've got something coming, we've got something coming. But you're still a year and a half out with it. You're not ready. It, it was under glass, like a pheasant here at the show. We couldn't touch it. We couldn't smell it, you know. It could have been uh, cardboard. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't know. I mean, it could, it, could be, it could literally be pieced together like Legos. We wouldn't know. So, I mean, it'll be interesting, though, to see what, what they come with. I've got faith in all of the brands, and I think the competition is great for the marketplace. Rolling back into you, the person, Portia, the, the editor and the, uh, you know, the content creator for Black Girls Ride, um, what sort, obviously you've got a lot of insight into the market and what's happening here. As far as that goes, what, what do most of the people that, um, read the, your readership, what are most of them on? Is it mixed? Is it a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything. Um, right now, I think the majority of our readers are riding V-twin baggers, um, because we're getting older, right? So when I first started, the majority of us were on sport bikes. We were on Jixxers, Hayabusa's, um, uh, you know, Hondas and that kind of thing. But then I think as we mature, as my demographic matures, you gotta get upright, right? So I'm starting to see, right, your back. The back starts hurting and the legs start cramping, yeah. Yeah, you know, it just it's not the same game. So so I'm starting to see the, tr the trend to move toward uh, the V-Twin Bagger. Different brands, all different brands. Um, obviously, Harley's got the lion's share of the marketplace, but I'm starting to see a lot of Indian riders I'm seeing a lot of victory riders because they had basically a blowout sale when they kind of shut down. So you're seeing a lot of that, and they still got a lot of aftermarket support for customization. And um, and we have we still have a lot of uh, sport bike riders. The younger girls are on sport bikes, um, not so much the smaller um, the smaller American models. Uh, there's a few, maybe a few Sportster riders, but not very many. Um, but that's, yeah, that, we, we span the gamut. And I'm starting to see a lot more adventure riders. A lot of dual sport um, riders are starting to pop out of the woodwork. I don't know if Babes Ride Out has something to do with that, but it does seem like a lot of fun to go out and just, like, go on a different adventure now that this whole, you know, the road thing's been around for how many de decades now. Um, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment with uh, Black Girls Ride? And to follow-up question to this, how the hell do you get all the time to get to go across the country all the time and spend all the time that you do riding and doing the things that you're doing? So to answer your first question, I think my my 
most proud accomplishment is the increased visualization of women of color in motorsports. The fact that we are being um, invited to the conversation and that we've been able to show that women riders of all colors have something to say. We compete uh, and we're here. So that's, that's like my proudest achievement. How do I get all the time? Well, black girls ride is the day job, right? So um, you've got to, for me, I took a leap of faith. Uh, you know, I believe in um, my passion. And I figure if I'm gonna struggle working a nine to five and barely make ends meet, I might as well struggle doing something I love and barely make ends meet. <laughs> and you know, when, when you're doing something you love, it doesn't feel like work. So, um, you know, I, I work a lot um, with manufacturers to, to, uh, to bring stuff into their dealerships. I work a lot uh, producing rides for women who are looking for adventures in, uh, you know, in the summertime. And it all kind of comes together and, and works really nicely. Yeah. Good. That's inspiring to me, and I hope it inspires other people. Go watch Biker Boys and see if you get inspired to ride. I would, I would have never thought of that as being like, you know, what inspired you to get out there and get on two wheels, but I love it. And uh, I can't wait to talk to a couple more ladies in this booth. Thank you for uh, all that you've done for the community, and I love seeing you around. It just makes me know that there's a voice out here gathering the information and putting it out for other people somewhere. We definitely want our ladies to make some educated decisions. Thank you so much, Larry, for the opportunity. And I'm going to grab some swag, too. Oh, my God, this has been recording the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked her for a meaningful sign-off and then pulled a, like, just shut it off like I do to Wiggins. All right, let's get into our next interview. We're heading, oh, my God, we're heading into the two-hour territory now, son. Yeah, boy! All right, uh, I'm... I am still here in the Women Writers Now booth. You wouldn't believe it. Chuck would believe it. Chuck from Wilnerds has been following me around all day, and he's stopped by here three different times, and he feels like I'm not spending enough time with him. But guaranteed, I'm getting a much better story by talking to the people that I'm meeting in this booth. And the person, the person that I'm talking to right now looks very fast. So I'm going to just go ahead and pop the mic in her face, and we're going to learn a little bit about who she is, what she does, um, why she's part of Women's Writers Network, and um, I think she's she looks fast, so we'll see if she Stop goes fast. <laughs> Put the microphone in her face. I'm not quite sure what looking fast is, but I'm maybe I'm going to take that as I look streamlined. So I might be streamlined, I don't know, um, but yes. I'm a land speed motorcycle racer. I've been racing for 15 years or so. Um, my team and I have over 45 world and national land speed records with my top records being 239 miles an hour on the Bonneville Salt Flats and we race in Bolivia as well. And I'm here, even more importantly, to represent Women Riders Now, which is the website that um, serves to help female motorcyclists and all those that who are inspired by them, help them find the right bike, find the right gear, get a little inspiration, hear from one another, and that's why we're here. I know, I love it, and that's a super important role, and that's I, I think it's cool that you're on here, but we have to, we're going to move away from that, we have to talk about the speed first, let's get that <laughs> out of the way, 
Um, the reason I said you look fast is because I'm looking at this bike that you're on. I, I literally can't even tell what type of bike that is. But uh, yeah, it looks quick, don't it? And uh, er everybody around me is nodding their head right now. <laughs> all, all five people around us. Um, what is this bike that you give me? And first, before that, let's go back to your very first bike that you did the land speed record on. Let's start, let's start at the beginning, like we probably should. What was your very first um, land speed bike and why did you start racing land speed? So, like anything, it's the intersection of passion and opportunity. And I have a passion for motorcycles and a passion for speed. I like to go fast. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I told you she looked fast. <laughs> and then I learned there was an, oppor well, I, an opportunity presented itself. There's something called the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials. And you could go to the Bonneville Salt Flats and do something called Run What You Brung. So you can take your own motorcycle there. You can do some safety checks on it. They ensure that you're properly protected, that your bike is safe, and they, you can go out and fully wide open ride with the throttle completely open. And I did that and pulled back into the pits and said, all right, I need a real bike. <laughs> and uh, from there on out, I've, I've been racing on the Salt on a number of different bikes, different platforms, most recently on the BMW S1000RR, which is uh, the bike you're referring to now that's my, my current platform has been for about five years. So what was that first initial bike that you took a rip out there that got you hooked on all this stuff? And um, I, honestly, for me, it could be a PW50. I'm sure it was exhilarating, whatever it was. That just seems like to go out there and rip it full throttle, what the hell? I mean, that's pretty amazing, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a PW50. What was it? <laughs> yeah, and it's... It, 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 whatever the top speed would be the first time that you do it when it's 100% throttle and the track is yours and no one else is out there uh, even if you were going 100 it would still be pretty exhilarating so I was on a Honda VFR Interceptor in 1998 and my top speed was 154 miles an hour and um, it was pretty epic Stock bike. That's a, that's the a 750, right? So this and was it bone stock? Yeah, it's it's an 800 and it was bone stock. Yeah. That's the year they went to VTEC, or that's like the model that had the VTEC. Okay, yeah. Um, geez, Louise, and to go out there on a stock bike, just giving it all all it's got. I imagine that. What sort of things are going through your head that first time? Besides, am I going to survive this? I'm sure, right? Well, the reason we race in places like the Bonneville Salt Flats or El Mirage or Bolivia, the Uni Salt Flats in Bolivia, the reason we race there is to minimize the chance of something bad happening. And so when we're going at top speed on a racetrack like that, I'm not going to worry about a deer jumping out in front of me. I'm not going to worry about a car turning left in front of me, all those terrible things that can happen. So certainly bad things could happen, but we race there to minimize the chance of something bad happening. So, um, so, so it's not a fearful feeling. It wasn't a fearful feeling for me. It was just, it was a lot of pressure to, to, and my, that I put on my own self to say, can I get smaller? Can I get smaller? I got to go faster. Come on, eke it out, eke it out. And it's one of those things where you wish you had a a riding crop in your hand that you could just beat the back of the bike and it's going to run faster. <laughs> you know, it's, it was that feeling. Have you ever had an incident on track before? Whether it doesn't have to be like you're cartwheeling at 100 miles an hour, but I mean, even anything. I'm sure even having a low tire kind of affects you a little bit, correct? So, so certainly things can and do happen. Um, I have I have had minor issues that will happen and and. 
it can be anything from a tachometer that just completely stops telling me how fast the what, what my RPMs are to a tire at one point that was overinflated. So it was as if I were riding on ice. <laughs> it was if you think about 60 psi on a salt surface. It was a little sketchy. Um, so I've, I've certainly had sketchy things happen like that. I've, and I've had moments where I knew the track wasn't the optimal condition in order to set a, a record, so I might back off it. That doesn't happen very often. Um, so I, I, I've, I've been fortunate. And part of that is experience and having a team who will discuss when to run, when not to run, and to know when I can really go full out versus, okay, we need to sit this one out because the the wind is not correct or you know, th- things like that. So, so no, I, and I, but trust me, I've, I've, I think I'm the, I don't know a lot of people that have jumped a bike at 200 miles an hour, but I have. Um, it, it completely inadvertently, and I raced the Mojave Mile, and that's an airstrip in the Mojave Air and Space Port. And you know, hit a hit a hit a bump at 200 miles an hour, and I told I came back. I told my team. I said, "Yeah, I definitely got airborne," and they're kind of laughing at me. But then they look at the data because I've got a lot of computer and, and uh, ECU on the bike. And my my race technician is like, "Yep, you you jumped the bike at 200 miles an hour." So so those things happen. Yeah. At 200 miles an hour, even one inch hitting that, you know, you, you jumped probably 300 yards. You know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a lot of things go into this, obviously. Uh, you've been doing this for a little bit. Um, what sort of stuff, I mean, what sort of stuff have you gained knowledge-wise or and wisdom-wise? Um, you know, what, like, I know obviously you go out there, you know how to ride already, so you can just do it. But what sort of stuff takes time, and, and what led you to 200 miles an hour? <laughs> Built, so people will say it's easy to go fast in a straight line, but it's not easy to go fastest. And um, if we've got the records that we have, we've gone fastest a number of times. And it, it really is a, a combination of factors. So it's about the aerodynamics. So how small can I get on the bike? How more, what, what can we do to the body or the fairing to make it more aerodynamic? Can I get lower on the bike? Then it's about traction. So what can we do from the chassis perspective to get more traction? Can we put we have 100 pounds of lead in the swing arm of my bike so that we can get the power to the ground. What can we do to get more power in the bike? So my motor is built by Shane Kinderis of Alpine Performance Center in Australia, and he's the best motor tuner in the world for the BMW S1000RR. He's always looking for how can he get more, how can he get more power. So it's aerodynamics, it's power. I have to hit everything perfectly or I'm not going to break a, a historical record. I, can, I might go fast, but I'm not going to go fast S if I don't do everything perfectly. And so it, it, it's really about about that. <laughs> yeah. What current records do you hold and, and what records have you set? I'm sure there's a lot. If you know them right off the top of your head, that's great. But yeah, you know, let's look at your, <laughs> even you're looking at your cheat sheet, right? So um, what do you hold right now? So we hold a number of records in the thousand. So, so for those that don't know about land speed racing, the records are based on the size and style of the motorcycle so size being the size of the motor so a thousand cc bike will race separately from a 600 cc bike separately from a 1350 and then the style of the motorcycle so a streamliner would be different than a, a traditional motorcycle and okay, right in black. 
and then whether the bike has a turbocharger or not. So currently we hold most of the records in the 1,000cc class for both the AMA and an AMA, so or sorry, AMA and FIM, so world and national records. I'd say if, if what are the two that I'm most proud of? Um, we're the world's fastest production motorcycle, and that's competing against every other brand of motorcycle. So we're the world's fastest production motorcycle at 207 miles an hour, and then the world's fastest thousand cc bike without a turbo and that's 239 miles an hour so those are the two that i'm the most proud of so production is like a bunch of different displacements too so production is uh, is different displacements and it has to be just as it would come off the showroom floor so even the little stupid feeler pegs that are on the on the foot pegs that you know you have to have those you have to have the license plate holder and all the silly stuff that most of us would take off of our street bikes but it has to be exactly as it was and and yeah it's the fastest production bike and looking at this bike right here that you've set down in front of me the tank looks stockish but everything else is covered up i don't know if it's maybe stock underneath all this stuff but what sort of um class is this and what like what body is this so, so when people ask, what have we modified, it's easier to answer to say what we haven't. So the gas tank is original, the frame is original, and the wheels are original. And everything else has had something done to it in order to attempt to make it faster. So everything from the wheel, the, the wheel bearings are ceramic so that the, the tire will... Um, will roll with very little friction. The body of the bike is built around my frame. So the, the body's built around me because the rule says that you have to be able to see the racer from the side and from the top when they're in the riding position. And so if you imagine just put me in a riding position on a bike and then build a body around my whatever shape I would make, that's how the fairing gets in these kind of crazy odd shapes because they are very aerodynamic. So they're not the sexiest looking bike that's out there unless you like going fast. In that case, it's really freaking sexy. <laughs> and Yeah, and I can see right where your arm goes and right where your knee goes when you're tucked. I did notice there's no brakes. Um, apparently, you don't need to stop when you're out there doing 200 miles an hour or what? So um, we are... Oh. Got it. The brakes. So I do need to have brakes, but I only need to have the rear brakes. And so we remove the front brakes for two reasons. One, for the friction that the brake pad would put against the wheel as it rolls. And then secondly, when we're going the speeds that we're going, even if my hand is not on the brake lever itself, the wind would compress the brake lever a little bit. So we remove the lev front lever, brake lever, and we remove the front brake pads. And then um, we actually spread the brake pads in the back also because I need them, but I don't need to stop quickly so I can pump them a little bit. And that's, again, to remove the friction that we have. And it, it, it's easy to go fast in a straight line. It's not easy to go fast us. So every little bit that we can get will add up. So every little bit we... Um, you're, you're taking weight off the front and adding and adding it to the rear, man. Like you're putting so much lead in there. Um, you still have the ABS ring, but I just noticed, yeah, no no rotors. It looks crazy. It looks like really, <laughs> like you're you're going into uh, oblivion with no things. Did you hear that? By the way, she said she's going so fast that the wind 
presses the brake lever. Like that's insane. That's that's start. That's where the insano mode starts coming in. Um, so is this thing like you know, go go to your showroom and get this, and then slap on you know five thousand dollars worth of. Uh, I don't think so, right? <laughs> uh, no. So we bought us. We bought yeah. We bought a strippy bike um, that because everything we know we're going to take everything off of it. And yes, then we have AirTech that builds our fairing, and we um, have all kinds of. I mean, everything from the Olin suspension and aftermarket exhaust that we actually had to 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 make. <laughs> um, I mean, it really, it's the the nitrous system. So the. There's a nitrous system under the tail of the bike, and it's not... People think nitrous, and they say, oh, what's it like to push the button? Well, my nitrous system actually has its own ECU, so it's a progressive system such that we can we can program it to bring a certain amount of horsepower in based on what gear I'm in and what horsepower I'm in. That all, or what, Sorry, what, what gear I'm in and what RPM I'm at. But then that just makes my job that much harder because there's a lot more things that I can screw up. So if I hit the rev limiter, the nitrous system turns itself off. If I, which you can, which can easily happen if you spin the tires. If I drop below, if I if if I'm not 100% throttle, the nitrous will turn itself off. So there's just all these. I mean, it's amazing. It's like the world. It's like the best tailwind you've ever had. When the nitrous kicks in, it's just like tailwind. Oh, this is awesome. You know. It sure sounds a lot more complicated than go to the salt, turn the throttle, and tuck down. I mean, there is a lot at work here. And every time you mention a new thing that you didn't mention before, like the nitrous and the crazy exhaust and all this stuff, it just, man, my brain gets a, explodes a little bit more. Um, what would you say you bring to WRN to kind of bring it back to, uh, like, why did they go out and say, well, let's get this lady that's gone 200 miles an hour and make her sit still in a booth for hours and talk to chumps with the podcast. <laughs> All over. One of the things that I loved when I started land speed racing was that women and men compete equally against one another. There aren't women's records, there aren't men's records, and I grew up in a family that encouraged my brother and I both to do anything we wanted to do without creating or imposing stereotypes for us. So for me, I feel like I have an opportunity to help women understand and people understand that the sport is approachable. And certainly my, my world of the sport is not the most approachable. There's a lot that goes into going 240 miles an hour. However, if there's something that I can do to help the next rider learn that, that, that they, can, they can do it and remove their own barriers, that would be great. Motorcycling is something that I got into later in my life. But the motorcycle community has also been incredibly impactful in my personal life, and I, I kind of don't know where I would be without it, so I'm extraordinarily grateful for it. And if I can just do anything to go out and help people understand I mean, simple things like, okay, how do, you, how do you go from wanting to ride a motorcycle to actually doing it? Well, there are MSF courses out there. Go do that. Okay, well, I'm a little bit scared. What can I do to reduce the, the fear that I have? All right, well, put yourself in the best gear. Wear earplugs. Earplugs will reduce wind noise, and that, that takes a lot of the fear out of it. If there's anything that I can do to just help people learn that, that this is a pretty amazing thing if they feel called to it. It's not meant for everybody. If you're not, 
athletic if you're not called to it. There's no, I'm not trying to say that everybody should be a motorcyclist. I'm just trying to say that if you feel like you have that inkling, like I really kind of want to do it, if, if we can break down some of the barriers, whether they're self-imposed or they're externally imposed, then, then that's, that's what I want to do. That, that's it. And who knows, maybe they'll end up going 200 miles an hour afterward, right? Um, so what got you into motorcycling in general, like when you first started riding? Um, the, the intersection of passion and opportunity. I have a genetic need for speed. My dad always had the fastest cars that we could afford, which weren't much because we were a middle-class family. And um, my brother has the same speed gene, and my mom encouraged us. So it's that, that I'm genetically predisposed. I didn't grow up riding. I started riding when I was 35. So it wasn't something where I started as a kid like a lot of people these days do. I'd probably be better if I had. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, hey, don't be too hard on yourself. 200 over 200 plus, almost 300 miles an hour is not too shabby. Um, yeah, I really have enjoyed coming here to the Women Riders Network. It's probably the best booth I've been in. I spent more time in this booth than we did at any of the presentations actually out there in the show. I could tell you that much. And, uh, and you guys have knocked my socks off in this, in this booth. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Aaron, thank you to Sarah, thank you um, to Portia and, and Trisha. Trisha, well, I'll probably talk to Trisha too. Why, why the hell not? I'm here. And there's another bike by Jesse Coombs over here to talk about. So I think we need to, we need to chat about that one. But Aaron, thank you so much. This is super cool. And you know Liza. I'm sure Portia knows Liza because she, you, you guys went on the WRWR tour together. Yeah. So... Man, it's a small world, and uh, I can see... Yeah. She showed us the Bonneville Salt Flats on the tour, which was awesome. You know, it was flooded, but still, we were there with, like, a world record holder. How awesome is that? <laughs> Haley Bell, the founder of Women Riders World Relay, she texted me, she, she told me the next day, she's like, oh, my parents are mad at you. And I said, why? And she's like, because they know I want to go land speed race now. I'm like, okay, I got another one. <laughs> good, good. She's super fast, man, super fast. Hey, she's going so fast that the uh, the wind's pressing the brake lever, maybe pressing the nitrous button if there was one. Good thing it's mapped into the ECU. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I'm going to grab some swag because, you know, for our women listeners out there, yeah, yeah, I want you guys to... Um, have access to this stuff, get a better perspective than I can give you on our show. So we, we try, but, the, uh, you know, hands down, you guys will have us beat. So thank you so much, Aaron, for hanging out, and thank you, Portia, for being here, too. Yeah, you're welcome. Awesome. Thanks thank for you, Larry. Us. Alrighty, and uh, we may have one more interview if I can if I can catch Trisha before she runs off here. So. Nope, Trisha had to bounce, but that is not the end of the interview. Stick around. I will see if I can put chapters in here, and if you're hearing an if you're hearing it this far and there hasn't been a chapter, then I can't. But I will try to stick chapters in here so you can skip forward to the interviews. Guys, you have to stick around for this last one, and then that's our show. Hang on. Hold your horses. Hold your pants. Hold whatever you have in your hand right now, because if you don't, it'll be dropping on the floor. But you want to listen to this last interview, and I wanted to tell it. So listen, damn it. All right, everybody. I've been walking around IMS all day looking at all the great bikes and during one of the presentations it was an awesome bike. You should have been hearing them talk about all the specifications and all the great stuff about it but I couldn't think about the bike because in front of me I saw this crazy jacket that was lit up and so now we got a chance the the founder of the company is here and 
I'm going to have him say his own name because when I looked at it on the paper, I couldn't tell you what it was. But I need to know more about this, and I need to know about more how he got his start, where he's coming to us from, what he rides, all that good stuff. So let's jump right into this interview. So with us here today at IMS, who do we have? I'm Thibaut. Thibaut, where did you, um, first off, let's describe what you're wearing right now. This is, uh, there's a bunch of things out there that bolts to your helmet that shows a brake light. There's a bunch of reflective shoes and things like that. What you have here is a jacket, a very special jacket. Can you describe it to us a little bit? Yeah, so it's a jacket that looks like a regular jacket, but there's a button. Once you push it on, it lights up. And there's like 12 really, really strong LEDs that's, that just blind you if you're just on front of it but if you're in a car driving next next to the bike you make sure everybody can see you on the road you have this fixed mode or you can also you also have a blinking mode and when you blink you are even more visible uh, the, uh, the last function that's really good when i brake, i have a brake brake light recall so there's a little chip that will understand when i slow down and it will make the red light stronger in the back I've heard of this technology with the company called BrakeFree. This is the helmet one that I'm talking about. And when you slow, there's an accelerometer that tells, hey, light up more. Um, I have to be honest, we, we hooked up a little earlier and I said, yes, I want to interview you. I couldn't find you around here. There's so many thousands of people here now. But then I saw your jacket and you stood out in the crowd. It's bright in here and you're very bright. So I can only imagine at nighttime how well, how visible you are. What made you want to design uh, this sort of product? So I'm a rider and I've been riding every day and every day I've been cut off by many, by, by I mean everybody, especially I grew up in France and in France it's, the traffic is even worse than here in LA, you know? And so I've been looking for a way to make my, my everyday life a little bit safer. I didn't want to give up motorcycling, it's a passion of mine, I love it, it's all my soul, but my family was always worried, so I wondered what I could do. So. I just came up with this very easy solution, putting light into the jackets. What seems very easy, just putting light into the jacket is actually way harder than what it looks like because you want it, you do, you want it to have very well integrated jackets. If it stands out, if you have to put a harness on or something like this, nobody will want to wear it. So what do we did is we spent a lot of time designing a very good system that would integrate perfectly into the jacket. So when it's off, you don't see it at all. But when it's on, it's very, very visible. And it just fits into my everyday life and it makes me safer. More than 60% of accidents are due to lack of visibility. How did you come about making this thing? Like, how long did it take you to figure out perfectly how to do it? Are you some crazy rocket scientist that made this in your in your basement, or how, how did this come about? I love to say I'm a rocket scientist. I am not. I am just a writer and an, 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 an entrepreneur, and I just looked for people, for the right people to work with. And I'm working with brilliant engineers in France working on the lighting technology. And I've been working with the designers and many people which it's the job to have like really nice gear. And basically it's trial and error. I've done like hundreds of iterations of technologies, of designs. And I've worked with many people to come up with this very good jacket. It took us about, I'd say a year and a half to come up, to come up with a really good product we're proud of and it looks amazing when you have it shut off this is the thing i don't like about the harnesses and the brake freeze it seems like you have if you have more than one helmet the anything that you stick to your head i know they make probably holders like a gopro or something like that has that you can switch swap 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 but this is amazing because this jacket when you turn the lights off you can't tell that it has lights in it so i could wear this to dinner with my family and then ride my motorcycle home and be safe and seen 
and the amount of uh, like just the texture of the lights when the, when it's off and everything blends in so well it doesn't look clunky like a big brake light on my helmet or one of those vests that has like the lights all over it you have to first of all in the United States in the east coast i'm sure in montreal for you too it gets very cold very very cold and so you have to be able to like wrestle this vest on over you know eight layers of clothes this you're wearing it so i mean this is a pretty amazing design to me um how does it turn on and off is it easy like when you're riding can you turn it on and off even though i said earlier it's bright in here and i can still see you um so you could have this turned on in the day. It doesn't matter, I'm guessing. But is it if you need to turn it off while you're riding, maybe you want to go um, hide in the bushes or something. I don't know why you would want to turn it off. But when you're done, is it hard to actuate with gloves on? So it's very easy. It's made to actuate with gloves. You just press on a button that's located into the, uh, into the sleeve. You just press it for two seconds and come on and off. And you can just take it for a short time and you can have it blinking. So this is very useful when you're riding. So like when I'm riding every day in regular, in, in my lane, I would just have it in the fixed light mode. But if ever I'm going to start to lane split or if I feel the situation is getting a little bit tricky, people are starting to act a bit weird, I would just double click on my arm and it will start blinking and I can guarantee people it will get out of your way. <laughs> on the way here, I had a lane split this morning and I was using my high light flasher to flash my light. If I had this, I would be able to concentrate. I feel like I'd be able to concentrate more because the jacket's doing it for me and they are bright. Like you would not believe how small they are. They look like they're, if we're doing inches, like half inch by three inch millimeters, maybe like five by like 20, something like that. Yeah, so it's actually two inch. So it's like six centimeters uh, long by half, half, half a centimeter. So they look small, but they're very, yeah. they stand out. And you've got two, 12 of them. 12 of them. So you, six, so you six yeah. Six white and six red in the back. So you got six white, six red in the back. Now they're lit up. What about if, you, if I'm stopping? So when you're stopping, the red light in the backs become way stronger. There's this, uh, this chip that will understand when you stop and it makes it stronger. So it's very easy to use. There's nothing to hook up. Everything's inside the jackets. And it's, it's simple technology, but it's, uh, it has, took a long time for us to tweak it and to have just the right amount because at the beginning it would like light up all the time or never light up when you break and that's it. How, okay, you were at ICMA, I think you said. How, um, how different is it being here you know, than being over there? Is, is, was this popular or is, are you still trying to find, you know, are you just right now in trying to find distributors for it? Or have, are you selling them big in one spot? Space, but not another okay so I've been selling those in France and in Europe for, for a few weeks now it's we've been doing really great like we've, we've sold a lot of them and at ECMA this, which is the biggest European show it's it's a very very big show we saw hundreds of distributors that, that are running for us uh, we just moved here in the, in the North America so now I'm looking for distributors here and that's why I'm here at IMS I think you picked a great venue. IMS is obviously going to be traveling this year. AIM is another one I would hit up. Anybody um, that can see this, you know what I'm saying, is going to immediately think it looks quality. It doesn't look cheap. You say it's made in France. A, a big concern here is stuff that's made in China because it looks great and it works great for about three or four weeks or maybe even two months, and then it crashes. How long have you, have you tested these to make sure they're lasting uh, a long time? Yeah, so we've done many. We've we've done testing on the ground, of course. We've have we have about 150 riders riding everywhere uh, every day for like 
seven months or eight months now, we didn't have any issues, but we also tested in a laboratory. So it has been tested for like 20,000 pool. It's something crazy that you will never do that much. Uh, it's made to last. And even if you came into a situation where you broke it for some reason, maybe you fell on a, you tripped on a wire. I don't know what could happen, but anything could happen. All the system is completely modular. So if ever you have an issue, you can just change out the lights. That's incredible. So you you make the investment, and it's not like breaking one of the the harness mounted lamps or the kind that mounts on your helmet. And now you got to buy a new unit. You can fix the even the sides. Like even if one side goes out, I can if fix I, it. This, if I have just one light break off, I can just change this one light. It's very easy. And if in the future, the good point with this, in the future, we're working on new technologies. Uh, every day we're working with engineers integrating new many things i cannot speak of right now because we're working on them and i'm not allowed to disclose them but it's we have a great things really great thing coming and you won't be you won't have to change a whole jacket you just have to to change a little chip inside it's very easy it's user replaceable and you can go on and have enjoy the new technologies it's almost like getting a cell phone and then instead of having to go buy the new latest greatest cell phone you just have them change the chip inside and you get all the new apps and all the great functions and more memory and all that stuff now comes the crazy question how much does one of these cost and where can i get one okay so it's very easy uh, in the us we just said online for now you can find it at reallyer.com so that's a r a y l i e r.com uh, they will ship from france uh, because I don't have any stock here yet. It will be coming really soon. But for now, I can only sell from France. It's, it's very easy. It's free, there's, it's free shipping and free returns still. Uh, you can just hit me up and we can we can have a chat and, and, and speak about it anyways. And then what do these things run? Um, I'm guessing like there's a conversion, but do you know like what's the price right off the top of your head? So it's going to be around 600 US dollars. So that's the price of a nice leather jacket. And it is a very nice leather jacket that would come with all these extra functionalities, you know? And um, if you want to wear it to dinner or something or you're going inside, it turns off and you can't even tell. So I thought you were going to say like a thousand bucks and people are going to roll their eyes. 600 bucks is actually not too shabby. That's like, like you're saying, that's the price of a really good quality jacket that is going to last you for a while and it sounds like it's an investment you know you need to you need to swap something out it's not like you go have to go spend another six hundred dollars you just spend you know a few hundred bucks for the um, lights or the chip or whatever goes out um what now you you told us like where you got your start and everything um i have to know what are you writing and uh are you are you writing here in la are you do you fly in for most of the places yeah, so I just I just bought my bike because I moved in Mo in Montreal a few months ago, and I bought an Africa Twin. I love this bike. I'm in love with this bike. I'm an adventure rider. I like going off roads, uh, and so no, I, I I wanted to do the trip from Montreal to here. I did run out of time. I had only like four days left. It's too short to go cross countries, but I was I was really planning to do it. But in the end, I'm not doing it. I'm doing the trip in like a week, like three weeks, because I'll be spending a a bit of the of the winter it's too cold up there you know <laughs> that was going to be my last question is compared to france i'm sure montreal is totally freezing right or is it is it sort of the same it is cold much much colder than france i mean it's not even allowed to ride a bike in winter so that's why i'm i'm i'm, I'm moving out to socal for the winter to make sure i can i can ride my bike here <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I'm going to put a link in our um, show notes so you guys can click it if you want to, you know, contact them and find out any of the information. 
Um, I have a video that I took with my phone. I took a picture of him earlier today too. I don't even remember what motorcycle we were looking at when I was when this thing caught my eye, but um, it was on the tour, so it was important to IMS. But all I could all I could do was see this. You're here, guerrilla marketing, looking for distributors, and I think it's really funny that like you're walking around with like one of the most um, interesting jackets on, which just you had a packet of stuff handing out to people. That's the guerrilla DIY marketing, and I mean that's that's the way way to go. You got to do here. So it was really nice to meet you, Tebow. Um, I'm gonna put his name in there too, so you can see how it looks versus like how it, how it's pronounced. So um, yeah, I've had a, a really amazing time and it's easy to spot this guy in this whole crowd of thousands of people because of this jacket so thank you very much Tibu. any any cool sign offs or anything for the suckers up in montreal maybe wish they were down here <laughs> i mean come 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 here guys like quit the cold come come see the come see the sun here all righty well thank you very much and uh, we're gonna get back to the show all right thanks mike all right that was it that was our ims wrap-up this is episode 201, Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Thanks for everybody who participated. Thank you for listening to my rants about all the stuff that happened and all the new bikes. And I'm sure you already know. Everybody already follows the motorcycle industry that's interested in it. And mostly for me, making connections with um, an old friend, making some new friends, and meeting Tebow, who just moved here to SoCal to get away from the crazy cold that's happening in the north or everywhere except for SoCal right now. And also to our friends in Australia, I just read about the crazy fires. Um, We just had some ourselves, so my heart goes out to you guys too. Everybody stay safe, ride fast, um, do your best, and stay your warmest. And with that, we're out of here. Stay tuned for next week. We have a great guest coming up on next week's show too. And... Uh, electric boogaloo, babaloo, shabaloo, dabadoo, dabadabadoo. That's my, just punch myself in the face. That's the most ridiculous sign off ever. All right, bye.